listening to the bomb hole. It's going to be very hot. It's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody. I'm going to slide down them big hills. You know what I mean? On a big, nice burgundy snowboard. Okay, here we go again. Another episode of The Bomb Hole. Presented by Salmon Snowboards, Pub Beer, and Wild Mike's Ultimate Pizza. Stony Buds, how we doing? I'm doing good, dog. Love hearing that. Now, this week, we have Mr. Jake Price to my left. How we doing, Jake? Doing awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. It's insane to stay here. Well, it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you. For uh, the listeners that may not be familiar with who you are, you started off as a snowboarder, and then ultimately got into uh, filmmaking in some of the most prolific snowboard videos ever made. Now, before we get into all that stuff, let's throw it back. You're a, you're a Bend OG, right? I'm not, actually. Oh, you're not? No, I'm from Salem, Oregon. Oh, wow. Which okay. is actually insane, because Salem is in the middle of nowhere. We're three hours from a ski resort. And I should not be here right now. You know, I, I should be driving a, a truck on a farm. You know, somehow it just like turned into this uh, snowboard lifestyle growing up in a town where there was nothing. Well, let's get into it. Yeah, How is that somehow? It? Somehow. Oh, my God. All right. It's been a long journey, dude. So this has been like probably over 20 years of just working my way up the ladder in the snowboard world. And it all started with pretty much uh, my cousin was best friends with pro snowboarder Michelle Taggart, who was a Burton rider way back in the late 90s, early 90s, probably. And uh, it was kind of like talking to my cousin a little bit. I was just a little kid, you know, and um, they were like, yeah, like we're doing this thing called snowboarding. And so I like would see like a Warren Miller video or something and be like, whoa, that looks so sick. All right, cool. So there was one store in town at the time, and I went down there, saw a snowboard, bought rollerblades. <laughs> Straight up, went blading, Salem shit. Like, uh, you know, we're just shitheads. Like, me and my friends, we're just like pretty much could do whatever we want, but snowboarding was not on our radar. So um, eventually kind of did that thing, saw skateboard. It was like, all right, skateboarding, this is the shit. Started skateboarding every day um, for probably a year or so. You know, it was always raining. It was just like a really rainy upbringing every single day. It was just shitty weather. Um, so just did like pretty much what normal kids would do, minus we'd go off-roading and hang out on farms and go dirt like four-wheeling and things like that. And then um, the store Exit Real World opened up. And that is like an organ staple, the sickest place on earth. As soon as I walked in that door, my mind was absolutely blown. It was just like Christmas Day, you know. Walked in there, saw like snow, real snowboards for the first time hanging on the wall. is like the whole Moro catalog. And I just remember seeing this Moro drive, and it was a 156, and I was four foot eight. And I was looking up at that thing. It was the smallest board they had. And I was like, that's the dream. Went home that night, literally everything changed. It was like, I'm selling my G.I. Joe collection. I'm selling all my toys. I want to save up to get a snowboard. And my parents were awesome because they were just like, no, you got to work for that. If you want to get that, you got to like make the money and do it proper. And it was like 400 bucks. Like, damn, like this is insane. There's no way I can get $400. 
eventually Michelle bought a Burton board from her. It was a 151 Air that she won the U.S. Open on. And uh, she gave me a snowboard video with the board. And it was like FLF Films, like Hard the, hung- Hard the Hungry in the Homeland. Or no, like, no, it wasn't no. that one. It was like one of those videos that had like the like claymation, like really ghetto animations in it. I don't even remember what it was. But uh, that board was doped on the air. Yeah, that was sick. It was like the one with like the kind of like anarchy sign on the tail, mm-hmm. something like that with like really weird triangular things. But the board was a foot over my head. It was a 151. You know, I was a little tiny kid. Um, so got that snowboard and just started going up every weekend. Like my, and where'd you go? Uh, we'd go, we kind of started snowboarding at Hoodoo Resort in Oregon. Never heard of it. And, uh, it's a real tiny resort in the middle of San Ian Pass. And at the time, you know, I, I remember like riding up the lift and like just had all my hand-me-down gear, just like freezing my ass off, but like would go nine to four every single day, actually nine to 10 PM. Cause they had night skiing on weekends. So it was like, as soon as my parents would like get me up there, it was like, I am not going inside. I love this so much. And, uh, I I mean, I I just have like visions of like riding up the chair and there was nobody snowboarded back then. So like, I'd see a dude on like a checker pig and I'm like, damn, that's fucking sick. And, uh, (laughs) you know, but exit didn't carry those and, um, snowboarding was growing so fast, but still nobody made kids gear. So I was wearing women's gear. I was like riding a board that was way too big for me. And that was like the first time I got a taste of like powder snowboarding. And I think for me, that's like kind of what we had in Oregon. It was like, you know, snowboarding powder. Um, kind of like just kept doing that. And my, my parents were just so supportive. They don't come from a ski background or snowboard background. They're car, they, my dad's a car salesman. So he comes from a sales background and he was just like, he just got it. He's like, well, this was what, this is what my kid loves we'll do whatever we can to get him up there and let him live like this lifestyle. That's what he loves. Um, you know, I saw snowboarder magazine, saw trans world magazine and just like instantly just like read everything I could get my hands on back then. You couldn't even really buy snowboard videos. It was like, I remember seeing in a snowboarder mag, it was an ad for snowboarder TV. And it was like, you have to watch it at this time on cable television. And I was like, damn, I can get to see snowboarding on TV. This is going to be crazy. And, uh, then the, the, it would be like East coast time and I missed it. And I'm like, Oh no, damn it. I'm gonna have to wait another six months before I can see snowboarding again. It was just a really crazy time in snowboarding. Cause it was growing so huge. Um, Missy Sammy was the owner of exit real world and she just saw the growth and she was like such an amazing inspiration for me. Um, for her to open up this, this new culture to our shitty little town in the middle of nowhere in Oregon. Thank God for those those small snowboard shops and stuff like that. Absolutely, man. It's so sad and um, that a lot of them aren't around anymore. You know, RIP to exit as well. Like that was my life for many years. And um, I would go in there every single day after school and just be like, I was like super shy, real awkward, tiny little kid. And But they just kind of got to know Missy and I got to know the people that were working there. And they were all just instantly my idols. So it got to the point where... Um, I was skating every day and like, you know, skating in my driveway, not knowing, wearing like Air Jordans. Couldn't, you know, I just couldn't get gear that fit me. I was so small. And uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, by being in there every day, putting a face to my name and everything else, like I, I had the opportunity to do a program through my, my school that was like, hey, uh, 
if you go get a job somewhere, you can get credit for the time that you're working at this thing. So, so I hit the lottery as a little kid, went into exit and it was like, got a job there, wasn't getting paid, ended up working at the shop for six years. And it was just honestly the best time of my life because they start was, paying you after a couple. No, years they never did. They never I mean, did towards the years. very end, once I like, once I got <laughs> my driver, deal for them. Yeah, oh, it was it was the best deal ever. I was just the shop grom. I'd wax boards, grip skate decks, bullshit, or it really like brought me out of my shell. Like I was yeah. such a um, quiet kid and awkward, and like I didn't really have that many friends. Like no one skated in my town, no one snowboarded. So it really was kind of like the moment where it like. I was hanging out with all these older people all the time. And then like Rob Morrow would come into the shop and Trevor Graves would come into the shop because Morrow was in Salem at the time. So oh, really they're in Salem. They were in Salem. Bonfire was in Salem. So Sean Peterson would come in and I was just this little kid just like, whoa, dude, this is crazy. And then, you know, like in the summer, like skate tours would come by and Jamie Thomas would come by and Andrew Reynolds. And I was just tripping out, like just ultimate like just like little kid like oh my god dude this is absolutely insane and now i'm sitting in the same chair that jamie thomas was sitting in this is nuts <laughs> yeah. some air horns. dude I, we get asked all the time uh i bring it up and it's a corny question to some but like they, they they're always asking hey do you have any advice for getting sponsored and, and that always goes over my head but i think everybody probably that sat in that chair was a shop grom or shop kid that just hung around at the shop and became a familiar face of the shop I think that plays a key role in 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 kind of engulfing yourself in the culture, dude. That honestly jump started my whole life. Um, now I shops was, are kind of gone, though. So what do they do? There's still the, it's I feel Instagram like flagship. Yeah, they're still yeah, like right. being they're on the still. gram and like doing it on their own program. Running, they're on their they're running their own media team. True, but yeah, also that's just kind of like media. you know, man. You got to like put a face to the name, and you know, I was the shop grom and. We had our big sale of the year in the exit party, which was like the big video premiere that they would do. And uh, this this specific year was Meltdown Project. And that's like where I was like sitting in a movie theater and just like, damn, like the Dead Kennedy song comes on. And it was literally just like that blew my mind. Um, but that day I met Randy Torkum, who is the um, at the time was the um, the rep Northwest rep for 5150 Snowboards. And he literally just like saw this little kid in the shop. He's brilliant because he's like, well, if I hook this kid up, I've never even seen him fucking snowboard. If he uh, if he's like back in 5150, he's going to like sell these boards. So he just handed me a board and it was just like, are you kidding me? No way, man. I'm sponsored. This is insane. <laughs> like got a board like the dream just hit and he had never even seen me snowboard. And uh, that was like a, a real change in in like that time for my life and that's where I was like really started to take it seriously was uh then like you know bonfire started giving me outerwear and um that was just like I was so thankful and just uh it was all really a sales technique for them because they just want to sell the product and if the kid working in the shop is wearing the stuff that's what I was selling Hey, but you had that label. You were sponsored. Yeah. Totally, That's dude. That's all you want. Yeah. All, you got free all that from the brand. Definitely. Well, free board. And, and then, like, dude, at the time, it was just, like, so out of my price range, you know? Like, didn't really come from money or anything. So it was like, yo, this is this is cool. I get to, like, have this and, you know. So, yeah, there. I mean, there I was riding for 5150. Um, Randy ended up moving over to Rev Snowboards and revelation snowboards out of canada and they were the first ones to have the slider system 
and I got like the th- this three series snowboard, and it was finally a board that fit me. And uh, that was just a game changer for me. It's the first time I'm like JP Walker became my idol. Tim Osler became my ultimate idol. Those guys all did a trip to like uh, Mount Hood Meadows vegetate. And honestly, like I got to meet my freaking idols for the first time. It was the first time I ever saw pro snowboarders. And it was like those guys. And at the time they weren't even like, they were still nobody, you know, but uh, to me, they were everybody. JF Pelchat is there. And I'm just like, whoa, dude, this is insane. And I'm just this little kid. I don't even know what that even feels like to be like these days. That never happens. You never have the groms on our shoots or anything like that. So, man, just like living the dream, snowboarding as much as I possibly could, um, going to work every single day at Exit, and just being in it 100%. And through that time, there's still summer. And summer was turned into, uh, by working at Exit, I met Trevor Graves. And Trevor was just the most incredible photographer is my ultimate idol you know um and he asked me to be his photo assistant and i was like super interested in photography and uh just based on looking at the snowboard magazines and uh so i went to go work it for trevor at moro snowboards you were trevor's photo assistant for like yeah not that long but it was i probably lasted like a week because he's probably just like wow this kid sucks (laughs) but uh how old were you um i was 14 14 okay yeah 14 15 probably Wow. Um, something like that and to be in the Moro building and seeing like their production at the time they were the number two snowboard uh, brand in the world it was all like being in the right place at the right time and uh just rolling with it and yeah. not being afraid to go try these new things and be a part of that and uh you know it, by hanging out with that crew it, the rev thing kind of fizzled so uh i think like by hanging out at Moro it was just a natural for me to be on the Salem Oregon company team and riding for Morrow snowboards. And, uh, um, Chris Owen was the team manager at that time. And he just saw the opportunity, just saw that I love snowboarding. And it was just like, yo man, like this is our kid. So, um, went on like a, the first Morrow tour with those guys. And the funny thing was, is that I drove a, so I was 15 years old and, uh, I drove a suburban so my dad wouldn't lease me a Suburban because he really believes in safe vehicles. And he knew I was going to be driving in the mountain as much as I possibly could. And Chris at the time was like, well, here, here's the deal. How about Jake's 15? He has his learner's permit. I'll sit shotgun and Jake will drive the whole Moro team on the tour down through Lake Tahoe and, uh, you know, some parts of Oregon and San Francisco. And that was like, just blew my fucking mind. Your I'm dad like, was down with that? Oh yeah, he was way down. He's like, all right, well, this, this is Chris, you know? Like, they, they kind of got to be friends. Let's by, Chris Owen. Yeah, Chris Rowan, Owen, man. Owen. And, uh, you know, that was the trip where I met, like, Billy Anderson, and Jeff Anderson was there at the time, and Andrew Crawford, Josh Dirksen, uh, Tyler Lepore. Holy shit. Um, like, all... You're a 15-year-old kid that's psycho. Oh, yeah, my God. Crazy. It was crazy. But I was, like, so involved with the Exit Real World deal that, like, those people already kind of, like, knew that I was a shop grom from Oregon, even though back then, there's no chance of me ever having a video part or a photo in anything. Yeah. And then uh, next thing I know, I'm, like, hitting, uh, like, an ASI quarter pipe with Todd Richards, and I'm just like, whoa, dude, I'm like... You know, and I've kind of like held my own. I kind of did what I did and got like some shots in the Moro catalog and stuff like that. And like the Grom team with Tyler Lepore was like my equal aged guy. And I mean, Tyler was way, way better than me. But at the time, it was just like, dude, I'm just happy to be here. This is crazy. 
And that's honestly, that's a kind of a segue into how I got the nickname Minibike. That's actually a, a Patreon question from George Kluckner. Oh, fuck yeah, it's, George, man. How did you get the name Minibike? He heard that you were hitting some big jump and the wind caught you. <laughs> and, like a motorcycle, yeah, like made me do a whip. And it I made, mean, it's kind of like that. Billy Anderson was like really into dirt bikes at the time. Like those guys were doing the Moro, Moro Motocross in Albany, Oregon. And... uh I was just so small, man. I was, I'm just, okay, picture this. I'm 15, driving the Moro team. I'm five feet tall and I weighed 80 pounds. <laughs> Yo, I'm tiny. I was like the latest bloomer of all time. And uh, M- Billy just looks over and is like, Yo, you're like a miniature version of a motorcycle. You're like a mini bike. <laughs> and then just like that whole trip, like Dirksen and Crawford and all those guys just jumped on it. And they're like, yeah, mini bike. What up? Like hit the jump, mini bike. And it just stuck. It just stuck. And it kind of like been rolling with that ever since, you know? That's awesome. So. I never knew that. Yeah. It's a great nickname. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, with those Moro years, dude, it was just like, it was so sick. Because it was just like, fuck, man. Uh, met Andrew Crawford and Dirksen and all these guys that lived in Bend. And to me, it was like, oh, that's the biggest mountain and resort or the biggest resort in Oregon. And uh, so I just started going there every weekend. And uh, we ended up getting a condo there. And uh, the, it was kind of the, the fall. I don't remember what year it was, but um, Crawford got cut from Morrow. And uh, pretty much it was a major hit because it was like he was the guy that I looked up to the most and like was riding batch. He was like at the time, like was so open to having this little kid ride with him all day. And we just became super good friends. And he had a like the summertime he got cut from Moro. Um, and then I was still like kind of trying to come up, but I didn't really have like a way to do it in a way. And my dad like kind of met Crawford at some contests. He had won at bachelor and things like that. Some small things. And he, uh, my dad kind of just made a deal with him was like, Hey man, I know you're, you're not, you just got cut from Moro. Um, my kid is on the come up. Like what if he moved into this condo and you took care of him and he, he would drive you around because Crawford was honestly riding a mountain bike around town. Like he'd like ride the bus up to the ski resort at the time. So like pretty much had that conversation. Crawford, it was all through Chris Owen and Crawford. Give that dude an air horn. Chris Owen's my like, done so much for me let's give him the super air horn have you heard you, this one no i haven't oh oh and that's for you buddy <laughs> love that air horn yeah that one doesn't come that, out very often that's kind of like the diplo air horn yeah, yeah absolutely um but chris owen kind of organized this whole thing where i'm driving andrew crawford to the mountain every day blasting metallica in my suburban and uh we just our only mission was to snowboard every single day and uh Right then, Crawford got the cover of Snowboarder, and it was like this this massive. He jumped the rock art in a Bachelor, which is I don't. There's like no one's done that since, pretty much. Really? Yeah, it was on the summer issue. It was a massive. Chris you know, Owen shoot it? Uh, no, Quinn Shields shot it. Oh wow! Um, at the time, we would just Quinn Shields and Embry Rucker were two dudes that were uh, they were staff for Moro, so it was kind of like Dirksen, Crawford, and I were like the Moro riders in Bend, and uh, so. Whatever happened yeah. tomorrow? Are they like still sold at big box stores? Dude, and- I think K two bought it and uh. just kind of like dissolved it or something Did or they? whatever. I haven't seen one in years. Dissolved the, the competition. F- going, the, those foam to- foam cores kind of dissolved. <laughs> you know? well, Their cores dissolved. I, I'm tripping out too because I was a Moro fan. Like that was Moro my brand. Was a big deal. I had Richards posters on my wall. Richards was one of my favorites. My first snowboard was a Moro Model T. 
I was like Moro guy. So I've probably similar similar wall, right? age to you. Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so when I picture myself being 15 years old, being in, driving all the, my idols around in a van, that's just paints a crazy picture for me. And the fact that your dad lined that up, dude, yeah. the salesman, the, uh, exactly. car salesman, the car salesman, wheeling and dealer. I mean, he always was, he always, it's still to this day, wheeler and dealer. Um, it's actually smart guy though. Oh my God, man. I mean, buy some like for a dollar, dollar, sell it for two. Yeah. It's always been his motto. And, uh, you know, it's it's actually crazy because I was by working at the snowboard shop and I've sort of taken my whole life direction is based on sales. So are snowboard videos. You got to show the people what you're going to sell them, show them why they bought well, it. A lot of people don't know that. And then really. make the clothes, the give them the enders. Exactly. It's yeah. all a big sale, man. And like, I want people to love my product just like a car salesman would sell a car, you know. Have fun with it. Yeah. Thing. Smart logic. I've never heard that with filmmaking. That's a great. Uh, it's all a sell. Everything you do, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, to get the brands involved and yeah, to exactly. get the money to fund it. It's There's like, a lot of business and a lot of uh, psychology behind a lot of the, the videos. Yeah. You might not even think about it, but that's so, all I think about. Makes sense. <laughs> it's like. Okay. So that's a pretty wild situation. You're driving Crawford around, listening to Metallica, uh, riding Bachelor, probably getting down. Now. I've heard some rumors about some childhood acting slash modeling slash oh cheddar it, biscuits. All the above. It was all time. Uh, so, yeah, with having that opportunity with uh, the Moro team, Chris Owen got a call from Chapstick and was like, yo, we're looking for some snowboarders to, like, uh, go in, uh, audition for uh, the new commercial Peekaboo Street. So I was like, yeah, totally, 100%. Let's do it. And, and uh I have uh, two sisters and a brother, so all four of the kids. My mom drove us up in the Suburban, and we went up there, and we all auditioned for this commercial. Legendary director Greg Stump was directing it. At the time, I didn't know who the hell he was, but now I'm like, oh, fuck, dude, he's gnarly. Um, but uh, pretty much I did was doing 360s over Peekaboo Street's head while I was like, she's putting chapstick on her lips. Both my little sisters are standing next to her. Like, we're just all these little groms in this, like, chapstick commercial. It's on YouTube. It's called Chapstick Flava Crave. Chapstick Flava Crave. Flava Crave. Flava Crave. <laughs> wow. It was a way ahead we'll, of its we'll time. We'll definitely be syncing that up. But, but, dude, we worked one day, and I got a fucking check for $60,000. Both my sisters did, too. For one day? One day. Those are that was sag biscuits. rates back there, dude. It was like the most insane biscuit scenario Come ever on. as a little fucking each kid. Each of you. Each of us. And That's how like many? Year's salary. Three of us. Three of you. One yeah, day. One day. Holy biscuits. Dude, how do we get to biscuit jobs like that? Dude? Yo, man, go get it. That's a, like a word of advice I could say to any snowboarder or whatever. Get a freaking like a commercial agent. If you live in LA, man, oh, true, don't huh? be afraid to like get these opportunities. Like go audition for stuff. Why not? You have nothing to lose. You didn't have an agent though, right? Um, at the time, Chris Owen was oh. kind of like the guy who facilitated the whole thing. And then from Chris, there. Chris take some cheddar off the top or I what? I, I don't know. He's just had your back. Yeah, yeah, he just had my back. He was just like always had my back. And he was hard on me. He was like scary, dude. Like it was scary working with Chris at the time. He was like the man. You know? So your family must have been pretty stoked. Oh, that would just Three reset. Jets, that just changed our 60 lives. Sixty times it, trick. It honestly changed our lives forever. And uh, what we did, my dad's just like such a great, great dude with money. Um, he hundred and eighty k coming in. Yeah, we we just talked to Crawford and because uh, Crawford really became part of my family at the time. And he's like, Craw, what do you want to do? And Craw's like, I got to move to Mammoth. That's like where the th shit is going down. So uh, my dad was like, all right, let's invest in a condo in Mammoth. So we took all that money, 
went down to Mammoth Lakes and it was like the height of grenade, you know. Oh, legendary so, time. Good legendary time to, time to be down there. Mammoth, great time correct, to invest. Right? The town kind of like wasn't doing so great, but we just like got in, got a place right by the lift and um right by the lift. Yeah, it was insane. Um I forgot the name of the condos. But honestly, man, I got We're down talking there. Down up by the gondola or down in that lower Cotton, village? No, uh, Canyon. Yeah, right by Canyon Lodge, we got this condo. And like Matt Cass is my neighbor. And uh, I met day one, I go shredding, and it's fucking Eddie Wall and, and Kevin uh, Jones and Tara Dakitas. Wow. All, and then we're all session, sessioning this picnic bench. And it was just like, what is going on here? This is insane. I, and, you know, Kevin Jones just blew, absolutely blew my mind. I had never seen anyone snowboard like that. He was just so on point, so good. Um, and I wasn't, I was like super starstruck, honestly. And that was like, even though I was like already friends with Dirksen and Jason McAllister and Marcus Eggie and like the Bend legends, you know, um, that was just like a crazy moment for me. But I uh, honestly, I just like uh, didn't last that long down there. Um, I had a, I just had a hard time riding Mammoth Resort. I, I'd never really ridden park before, and Crawford was there to like practice tricks on park jumps and stuff like that. And this wasn't me. I was like used to riding pow. Like that's all I wanted to ride, and I wasn't good enough. Like I, I, I just like something in me. I can't spin. And, like I could not <laughs> figure that out. I can just like go big on hips and things like that, you know, because that's. Looking back now, that's what Bachelor is, is wind, wind lip, natural takeoffs, backside airs. It's like, that's what I want to do. So I instantly moved back to Bend, met the Cizik family the first week, and they're like, oh, we just moved from Mammoth to Bend. And I'm like, oh, shit. Well, yeah, same. <laughs> like, uh, I'm back here. <laughs> and then I lived in this, this Cizik. I mean, I literally, they're the coolest family Let's give ever. them an air horn. Um, so yeah, Curtis Cizik was, you know, he was like eight at the time. And the first day I met him, he was drinking a beer and high on mushrooms. <laughs> and I'm like, what? This is crazy. And at his, eight years old? Yeah, eight years old. That's his 11-year-old sister wow. is driving a truck around town. It was just like, what is up with this family? This is absolutely insane. These guys are so, they're just allowed to do whatever they want. I love this. So they, I guess within that, they were like, hey, we have a closet you can live in. So I'm like, yeah, I'd rather live there than my brand new condo down in Mammoth. I want to live in the con- in the closet and ride Bachelor. That's what I want to do. Wow. This is right in the time where I hit my growth spurt, where it was like in one year, I go from like, you know, five foot tall, 80 pounds to six foot tall, still skinny as fuck. In one year. In one year. And then it was like instantly dropped all my sponsors just nobody wanted they didn't know who i was oh really because they're like you're just talking not the little kid anymore (laughs) like we don't want him anymore he's he's like a normal ass dude and then living in bend at the time mora was already kind of like fizzling out uh it just wasn't happening so um for me it was like it's time to do something else and uh it was like honestly based on the doing the the chaps the commercial i was like yo i want to move to la and try modeling and acting because honestly i'm late i'm pretty lazy when it comes down to like a real job i worked in the snowboard shop for so many years love that but it was like i'm pretty i want to do something that's easy money and did a couple acting gigs in la was like cover of paul frank catalog and these things but it was i was so awkward i had no idea what the hell i was doing well that's just perfect because we have the breakout moment presented by our friends over at 10 barrel and pub beer now pub beer supports us you guys should support them their tagline is cheap, fun beer. Now, Jake, before snowboard filming became a serious career, 
back when it was cheap and fun. Did you have a memorable breakout moment? Absolutely. And this was just the most insane phone call I ever got. And it was from Jess Gibson from Robot Food fame. Um, I had met him through hanging out with Crawford because Crawford was living at the Robot Food house, even though he was filming for Standard and Kingpin at the time. And uh, uh, Jess was like, hey, man, like we are looking for a filmer for next year. And I had had the only experience I had with filmmaking was I was making skate videos at the, it, for Exit. You know, we I was filming like Tyler Bledsoe and Sebo Walker back in the day when they were just little kids. And that's where I like really had found an interest in video editing. And just so happens the uh, husband of Missy who owned the shop was a, f- a filmmaker as well. This guy, Jake Houseworth. And he just totally changed my life in a way where it was like, we just started buying every skate video, every snowboard video. And then, you know, robot food had after bang and lame. Those had come out with all these, all my, like essentially my friends were in those videos. And, uh, it was kind of a moment where I'm like, I thought I was done. I like, didn't think I was going to be snowboarding anymore. It was like, it was kind of over for me. But then Jess was like, Hey man, you know how to snowmobile. You have backcountry experience. You have snowboard experience. You love videos. We're hiring you for robot food and we're going to pay you 1500 bucks a month, unlimited travel budget. And you're going on your first trip with Josh Dirksen, Chris Inglesman, Hompus Moseson, Jakob Wilhelmsen, and Pierre Wickberg. And Pierre's going to show you how to use an Aeroflex 16-millimeter camera. That's, for the layman's that are unfamiliar with this, he's describing basically the most legendary film crew in the history of snowboard filmmaking right out of the gate. Go ahead. Absolutely. And, and the idea, we were uh, making the follow-up to Lame. And, uh, you know, I was already such a big fan. Like, those movies blew my mind. I was like, wow, this is how a snowboard video should be made. This is just crazy. And um, Jess and Pierre just had such a good uh, vision of what a snowboard video should be. And uh, those videos were huge. You know, it was like redefined a whole different style of making snowboard videos. And that's what, those are like the snowboard, the skate videos I was into were like Ty Evans, like the feedback and reason. And uh, videos that had more than just tricks and punk rock music. You know, uh, after bang opens up with like the cars, right? And uh, that was like, holy shit, you can use a classic rock song in a snowboard video? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. No one's ever done that before. Or there's like, you know, a hip hop song or whatever else. That was like super new and unique. And that's why those videos really stood out. Um, for me, it was like, all right, man, we're filming snowboarding. And the first two months was, was just shadowing Pierre Wickberg, who at the time was just like my idol, man. Um, in the snowboard film world. And he's just such a great dude, very funny, Swedish, knew everything about everything. And um, just, we're just ripping through film. Yeah. So explain the process of shooting on a, it's a Bolex, correct? Uh, no. Uh, the Air- Some people do shoot with Bolexes, yeah. but it's an Aeroflex. Airy S was yeah. the first camera I had. And it's just a bomber 16 millimeter camera built by the Germans. So yeah, uh, for explain. World War Two. So, uh, so that's why it doesn't shit the bed in the snow. And exactly, whatnot. it's a but, bomber camera. You guys it's go metal. Through. It's heavy. Um, but you know we have to change the film like out in the elements, and uh, there's real film going through it. And each roll of film is you know 100 bucks just for the roll. How so, many minutes of footage? Uh, three minutes. So three minutes of footage. Huh? Yeah, 100 bucks for three minutes for 16. Exactly. But the thing is, you're not shooting as much as you would with Digi. But honestly, at the time, Digi was still. Filming on like a GL2 or um, 
uh, H or uh, HVX or, or uh, VX 1000. Mm-hmm. Um, the VX 2000 had just come out, but uh, you know, it, for me, like that kind of like opened it up to, to the door to being like, yo, I want to film everything. So I'd be shooting all this digi stuff where Jess and Pierre were really, they were used to filming snowboard videos where they're just shooting uh, 16 only. So we were kind of always messing around with little digi cams and, you know, all the writers involved with robot food were also involved in the filmmaking process too. So they were all interested in little like stick cams and things like that. Um, one thing I wanted to pick your brain on is when I look at all the stuff that you've made, all the, all the iconic videos, you seem to capture the showmanship well. And while we're on the subject of this, like what's your opinion on like tricks versus showmanship? You know, there's two different types of showmanship, I believe. And, uh, the first type is your on-camera abilities to have a personality. And it is so hard to find snowboarders that have a personality. And when I first met Crawford, he was, like, just so, so advanced in the way that he would, like, pers- uh, the way he would show himself on camera. Then Travis Parker. You know, Travis is a genius. He's basically Jim Carrey of snowboarding. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's the funniest dude. And whenever you pull a camera out, he would always say something that would just make me laugh so hard. Or just, like, he has just a different vision of, of the world, you know? Um, like, the most talented human. And his showmanship just, like... It, it just shows like there's a reason why he was so big at the time because everyone loved his style. It was wild, just wild style. Like, you know, it's also the combination of, I, I always, this is the way I've processed it too. If you, if you watch those old robot food movies and you watch Parker, he's, he's relatable. He's, he's being a goof. He's back flipping into a tree, right? With, and then all of a sudden he's doing a he's doing a backside rodeo nine indie, which is like you know put your dick on the table. This is a fucking heavy move. So it's like he's relatable, fun. He's funny, but then he also still brings the A grade heat. Too. Oh, absolutely! It was insane, man. Working with Travis, he's just such a good snowboarder. And the reason why is he snowboards all the time. Like he's out there. He was out there every day, all the time for many years before he even got in the limelight. But then his personality really shines and. Um, that's, those are the things where I still, to this day, 20 years after that video, I still hear kids that are out in the mountain, like re recycling the lines from those movies, Yeah, you know? And, uh, I think, uh, after lane was really special because it was first time anybody had done really like a documentary vibe in a snowboard film. And, uh, I think Pierre, myself and Jess were all like really influenced by, uh, some of Spike Jones uh, skate videos, like the girl videos he was doing, and there was a you know like the hot chocolate tour, and those videos were like kind of like yo, and and honestly, it was kind of a, a a fluke because robot food was sort of dissolving at the time, and there's you know budding heads between different people in the crews, and um, we just uh, we didn't get the shots that we needed. That nobody had video parts, so we're like, well, shoot, dude, what are we gonna do? And we're like well, let's interview people and see what happens. We'll make a documentary about it. And like, it was always kind of like, it needs to have like 50% documentary, 50% action, you know, good music, everything else, all the ingredients to make in, you know, a classic snowboard video. And I think, you know, for me, that's just like the staple for getting hyped. And um, I I hear it from a lot of people, you know. And uh, for me, dude, it was just like my first project, uh, being a DP, filmmaker, you know, just a filmer. And I learned so much from those guys. Like, this is how it's really done. This is how it's done pro. And then, you know, that's when I'd sit over their shoulder in the editing bay and learn how to edit. Incredible. The uh, bonus of that video, when you guys are all driving around in the vans, and there's so much. We, we've 
could not get that DVD out of the DVD player and the amount of exactly. And it was gold probably, there is in there. It was kind of like the first time too that you can learn more about the 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 people behind their snowboard tricks. Like there's some personality there and personality showmanship is a huge part of snowboarding. And if, if it wasn't there, there'd be no culture. Well, absolutely. Going back to, you know, what you're talking about, you know, as a, as a fan of those guys, I would latch onto those personalities. I would latch fully and be like Travis. Oh, Scotty Arnold. You know, I was such a big Scotty still am fan. And, um, you know, going back to that, in, in the contrary, a lot there's some filmers that, that they only take out their camera and they film the trick and they put the shit back in their bag. Mm-hmm. And that's and you go home and you got eight clips or whatever it is and that's it. And and it's like that doesn't that they your tricks are great, but you know, you guys kinda of being the pioneers of taking the VX out and filming um, you know, Parker being an idiot in the van is is gold. Oh, absolute gold. And uh, you know, that really set up what my next movie was gonna be. And that was December. And uh, Travis and Andrew, you know, it was like kind of the beginning of the winter. We're trying to figure out plans. Robot Foods dissolved. Like Parker doesn't have a project to work on or anything. Trav- or Crawford was like not really sure. He was coming off of injuries, doing all sorts of other stuff. And they were at my house for Thanksgiving in Bend. We were just like, we just want to go snowboard. Or I was just at home. I was just like doing me. I'm like, look, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have no idea. Like I uh, didn't know I was like a, even a filmer, really. I was like, yeah, I did this movie. That's crazy. And uh, Travis and Andrew were like, or Andrew was just like, dude, we got to go to Europe. I'm like, for like Christmas? He's like, yeah, dude, let's go to Europe. And, like, and, Cro- and uh, Travis was like, yeah, like I just just started Air Blaster. Like, let's make the first Air Blaster movie. And Jake, you're going to film it. And I was like, yeah, right. Like, I've never, I don't know what, like, I, I've never been to Europe. What do you guys mean? Like, that's insane. And uh, basically, I didn't even own a camera at the time. Like How a old are you at this point? Just um, probably 20. Okay. Yeah. Happy. Yeah. You're 21, probably okay. 21, 22. Yep. And, uh, you know, it, it was kind of like, for me, I was just like, I had just saw Tent City, the anti-hero skate video, and was just like, damn, this movie's so cool. And I just watched it over and over and over. And um, I was like, man, why doesn't snowboarding have something like this loose? And like just the guys hanging and like I'll just mix 16 and mix Digi and we'll get some wireless microphones and we'll just I'll just pretty much anything that Travis says is gold. So I'd literally just open the, like turn hit the record button. Everything that would come out of his mouth was just like, damn, this is going in the movie. This is insane. But there was no plan. I mean, we basically booked flights then like November 29th and got on a flight to Rome the very next day with like my two fucking brothers at the time, you know? It was an absolutely insane moment. And uh, we just, the whole thing was like, we're snowboarding every day no matter what. And we get over there and there's no snow. It was like an inch. But we were just like, had to get really creative with it. And uh, we were in Europe, we did you know, six or seven different countries. Just my mind was blown, you know, first time over there. And, um, we were with Espen Leistad. Uh, you hang him with Espen? Espen. Yeah. And like, none of us knew him. Yeah, and it was character. just, he was such a character and him and Crawford just like totally butted heads. And it's all in the movie, you know, I yeah, didn't yeah. really Is leave he anything out. mad about the, the pistachios? Oh, pistachios. Yeah. Like we're throwing the pistachios <laughs> on the dash. The van is just destroyed. It's filled with trash. There's just trash <laughs> shit everywhere. Um, Crawford's just a wild human, mm-hmm. man. Like he is just like all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And then you throw Travis and those guys grew up together, Travis and Crawford. So like they were just like on fire. And then like, you know, you just, I love the, those moments. I love traveling. That's like the biggest part about my job that it, it, it's just the biggest perk. 
and uh, just find just getting into situations where you're just like, why? How did we get here? And one of those moments was like uh, discovering Marco Grilk. Oh yeah, like who Espen had known. He had met him somewhere, but we didn't know this dude. He's like, yeah, we're gonna go meet this Slovakian guy, and yeah. we're like, all right, man. He's from Does he Le- have like a, Le- any hot girlfriends that can hang out with us? Yeah, he's from Ljubljana. Ljubljana. Yeah. Tough one. To and uh, at the time, he was no one knew who he was, but we put him in that movie, and he did. we just did one night session with him, and he did, like, all four nines. It's, no one had done that in a video, really. I mean, Benedict, maybe. And then Crawford, sorry to interrupt, but there's a bet. When he gets done, Crawford and Travis, they walks over. I got, he's my new favorite pro snowboarder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite snowboarder. <laughs> exactly. And they're like, it's just and so cool. There's, like, a subtle moment right there. Crawford just, like, Blows all these plastic oh, yeah, cups off a table yeah, yeah. and then like grill, they like sit down, yeah. you know, it's so funny. Like that's just like, it sums up Crawford in a yeah. nutshell. He's just like, does not give a fuck about anything around him. Mm-hmm. Just like, boom, yep. trash everywhere. Yes. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Ever. Yeah. It's, that's like one of my favorite moments of that movie. Yeah, Marco just beat yeah, down. Marco, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh. And then, you know, editing that movie, like I was just like kind of didn't think anything of it and just like I put out but I just wanted to be a bonus feature like a little look of a bonus feature because that's what I really love in snowboarding I love the personality I love the background stuff the behind the scenes and uh it just kind of became something bigger than I could have ever imagined like I don't know how many copies we sold or anything like that you know I kind of handed it I did it for free you know they paid for the travel and all that stuff which that's kind of a trip of a lifetime too oh my god yeah it was totally and um to put out that movie that has become like something that uh, when most people ask me about snowboard videos that's always the one that the everyone cult. like wants to know about yeah it's a cult classic also <laughs> the timing was you know we just couldn't get enough as a as a consumer and a fan i couldn't get enough travis parker yeah 100 percent. no get enough. no one could like it was like an insatiable like i want more of this guy's fascination yeah. after robot food came out so true yeah travis is just the best dude i love that guy so much you traveling know? with espen he's pretty high strong right you know, he was, like, really chill, actually. Oh, was but he? I think it was just, like, the high, tr- Crawford being a psychopath. First time and, I uh, met Espen, I was rooming with him, and uh, I uh, blacked out and puked in his only pair of shoes. Sorry, He's probably, uh, to me, he reminded me of, like, Will Ferrell or someone, but, like, a uh, quiet version. And then er, it always rains on his parade. Yeah. I think it's the Norwegian in him or something. Dude, when we, Oli and I roomed with him the next time, and... Uh, we he always was the dude who claimed the sickest room, so we snuck into his room and switched the the uh, box spring with the mattress. No, fucking and he way. slept on all it time. all the super park. <laughs> and we he kept waking up in no the morning idea. and being like, "This bed is like a prison." <laughs> and and we told everyone in super park kind of knew, and everyone kept coming up to him like, "How are you sleeping, dude? How are you sleeping?" Oh and then on the last night, he found out what we did. I mean, him and Crawford had like serious meltdowns and things <laughs> yeah. during that trip, and like he's there was a moment where he's just like. I gotta go, and but then he'd come back down to the, like the hotel lobby and be like, "If I'm I good. leave, I'm gonna miss you guys." And then when when we all left, he was crying. Yeah, imagine trying to shoot with those riders. So crazy, man! And I mean, trying to shoot with those riders with no snow, and they weren't doing. Oh, you guys weren't yeah, doing yeah. a whole lot of like big spectacular. No, movies. no. Like the, the whole point was kind of to make a snowboard video, not about snowboarding, and we really. I mean, they would snowboard at one inch on rocks and like everywhere all over Europe was shitty snow. Huh? Yeah, it was bad. Um, well, while we're on the subject of all this video talk, I think it's time oh, here for we go. You oh, know snap. what? Nap. Video 
So good. Now, Name That Video Part is presented by the Dew Tour. Uh, be sure to check out their skate event coming this summer. Now, how confident are you feeling about the Name Ten out of ten. That, wow. I'm a student in the game, Bob. I've never seen that that's confidence the highest, here. That's the highest recorded yeah. uh, confidence level. Yep. Okay. We got wow. it. Fired well, let's, up. Let's, let's see go. how he does. Here let's we go. go, he says. Tommy Jesme, Video Gracias. <laughs> what? You did it? <laughs> <laughs> that is incorrect. Uh, but that is a great answer. Uh, do you actually know? Do you want to hear where that? Uh, I, I, yeah, I was like, I was waiting for that moment. You know, uh, hit me with hit me. So no, pe- I think I know what it is. I feel like I might. For the people that <laughs> there's a guy that comments on every single Instagram post that says Tommy Gra- gives me video gracias. So that was what that reference was. Let's hear it again. I got it. You know, I don't. I don't know if I have the movie though. Doesn't matter. But it's definitely Giggy. That's correct. Um, and it's uh, is it pop? Or no 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 future proof yeah future yeah proof. yeah that was there really we go. pretty for, impressive for the for the uh, viewers we'll drop in the clip it's actually where Gigi yeah he air, hits the tree he, he, no it's when he he's riding Alaska and he overshoots that's right he shoots th- to the bottom of the you know what's so the, insane the, the whole hillside oh yeah it, is dude huge. like I I visualized that when I was listening to the song this is my prize pack yeah he gets the prize oh he's got my the cooler God, dude with the VX on there How it's sick uh, is that? yeah. Cooler wrapped in all over. What do you guys bomb put in yours? Um, wh- what we got in there is a bomb hole crew neck, bomb hole sweats, a hat. Uh, we got a mug. We got bomb hole stickers. All available at bombhole.com. Yeah, that, so go back to what you were saying about the visualizing like you could see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I, re- I have a visual memory. I think that's why I'm, I'm probably a filmmaker and a video editor where I see the clips and I see uh, just... I can envision things to music. Part two of Name That Video Part for the listener viewers. I'll tell you guys if I know this one too, but I'm not going to say it because it's for the viewers. Say it, but we'll beep it out. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Okay. You better know this one. I mean, it's... And it's... I believe. It's not... But that is correct. Oh, it's... It's... Yeah. yeah, in there yeah, too. yeah, I filmed that. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, but, I, but, but I didn't edit that one. That's like the thing I didn't. I didn't edit that. Oh, uh, and when you so. edit it, that's when you hear it a million times. Exactly, so it really sinks in. Yeah, those are like the videos where I'm like, "Fuck!" Like I'll see it, and I'm like, "When Pierre did it, or when somebody else edits my footage, mm. it's always like, I think I would have done it differently." <laughs> yeah, you you shoot it with something in mind, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, kind of, not really. All right, all right I'm gonna segue us out of little. Section we call Now I want to go back to what we were talking about earlier and let's get into the importance of music in snowboard videos. It's ninety nine percent of a video to me. It's all in the music. Cause why would you want to watch a movie that has shitty music? You know, you're not gonna like I don't know. It, to me it's like front to back, it needs to be a playlist that you would want to listen to all the time. Um, and also I think it needs to be a bunch of different types of like genres of music. And I love all genres of music. Like I'll listen to country, I'll listen to metal, I'll listen to techno, hip hop, whatever. But, uh, it's, it needs to reflect the writer's kind of vision. You know, ultimately when I'm making a film, it's like the writer has first choice. Like, what do they want? Most guys I work with don't give a fuck. They're just like, Oh, we trust you do whatever you want. And, uh, it makes or break the video for me. I can't watch videos with bad music. 
And uh, I think there's filmmakers in our world that probably just envision their videos playing on a bar with no music playing. So they're just like, ah, oh, fuck it. We're just going to run it like this. For me, it, like, it starts with the music. Even the editing, you know, it's like I find the song first and then it's like edit to that. I think uh, on the subject of good video parts should give you a feeling. Now, in order to create a feeling, the audio is very important. Huge. That. Big time. Back to the music. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, it's all in the feeling. And uh, it has to give you the chills. Like the first time you see it, when I show it to a writer, if it doesn't give you the chills, it's not right. And the wrong music is not going to give you the chills. No. And it, it probably is also the fact that I'm going to be listening to this song thousands of yeah, times. Yeah, if like, you I like just it like, and you like the writer. Exactly. And, you know, for me, I've been so lucky to work with these brands that we have budgets that can maybe we can create our own soundtrack and kind of like you know do something different and where I kind of know what I want most of the time like for for the videos I'll kind of be like all right this is the moment this is the the length this needs to be why don't why pay pay this like person that we don't even know to do a song let's just make it ourselves or we have friends that are in the music world so while we're on the subject of talking about making your own soundtrack uh, one of the videos, probably from an outsider, the video you're most known for is your project with Volcom and Gigi Ruff called 9191. Now, let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, track. that was just such a special time in my career. And for um, Billy Anderson at Volcom to be producing a movie about Gigi, Gigi just got put on Volcom, like head to toe boards, everything. And uh, I just like... I've actually met Gigi a long time ago. We're, we basically have the same birthday. We were born the same year. We get along super well. And Billy was kind of like, all right, dude, it's you and Gigi. And uh, you guys are going to make a movie in the next couple of years. And I was like, oh, what? This is insane. Really? Like for Volcom? This is nuts. It was like, you know, you always say like childhood uh, kid or 12-year-old me shitting myself. Oh, yeah, exactly. It was yeah. kind of like that. Where yep. I was like, wow, man, that's insane all right, cool, let's just do it. And uh, pretty much we just, uh, Giggy and I, we just rolled around together, hung out every day for a year, and just like, man, he's just the best dude ever. Like, we just got along so well. He likes to party, I like to party. We, uh, he likes to <laughs> snowboard, I like to snowboard. He just had like a good vision. I'd go hang out with him and his wife in Austria. You know, we'd go to Locks and hang out with Nicholas Mueller and just like be around like such amazing people and, um, but then I got to hang out with Curtis because he's riding for, for Volcom and Zach Marbin and uh, Mark Landvik and all these other guys that were just like such a killer squad. And um, I think uh, 9191, though, was like sort of like kind of rough in the beginning because we didn't have that much footage. And um, at the time, no one had really had a video that was like based on one guy. And it was like, damn, we have to fill 25 minutes like with hammers. Like, how are we going to do this? And then, you know, I think I just kind of like, we were just like, well, let's just take it a day at a time. And then uh, we got a call from Justin Hostinick and was like, hey, uh, you guys should come to AK and like kind of we'll work together for this Alaska, Alaska segment with Giggy and Jake uh, Blavelt. And then that was kind of like, it was early Feb. It was like the earliest Hostinick had ever been to Alaska. And we just had the most insane trip ever. Those guys were just like neck and neck, just ripping everything in sight. And um, that was where like I called Billy and was like, dude, I think we're getting a movie. Like, I think it's happening now. It's starting to work. And uh, I think that 
really just being in Alaska with that crew and uh, having Justin as backup. And, you know, I, I was kind of like shooting more of the ground angles and Justin was up in the helicopter doing a lot of the heli angles and things like that. All have shooting you, 16 uh, mil. shot from a heli? Oh, yeah. Because I have a Patreon question. Okay. From uh, Billy Bjork. Oh, bring it. He wants Sounds to... like a DJ. It I does, right? Let's give that, I was, name I was saying that, that name kind of flows, right? Yeah, Billy Bjork. Mm-hmm. So I love Bjork. I've always wanted to use her in a snowboard dude, video. That would be dope. She's on my list. On your list. Sometime. So he wants to know what it's like to shoot from a heli. Did you hang out the thing, like strapped in? How does that work? Yeah, it's actually insane. Because I specialize in shooting 16 mil film, I don't have drones. I don't do any drone work. Like, I, I despise them. Um, I like helicopters. I like the old school approach. Um, it's always insane. I mean, when you're most of the time when you're in a heli, you're going to be in Alaska. That's like where we film a lot of the snowboard videos. And it is so scary, dude. You wake up in the morning, you're like usually in an RV or something on the pass where the helicopters are taking off. It's just like you feel like you're waking up in Vietnam. <laughs> Or you're just like, you're waking up in a war zone. And I just like wake up hearing helicopters and airplanes and all these thing or things around you, all these motors and loud noises. And you're just like, whoa, dude, this is crazy. I'm going to freaking die today. This is nuts. <laughs> and uh, I kind of like, oh, man, I mean, it, it's just so nerve wracking. You almost have to be on drugs or like drink a beer or something to uh, <laughs> really. This is something I learned later in life. You kind of you can't go in stiff and nervous. You kind of just have to like let the be at the mercy of the helicopter. You have to really trust your pilot. And how it goes down is I'm wearing a harness around my legs and, and my waist. My camera is strapped to my arm by, by a tether because if you drop your camera, it could hit the tail rotor of the helicopter, oh. and then that means everyone dies. Um, the door's off and it's usually me sitting on the floor with my feet on the legs of the helicopter and the photographer sitting on the chair next to me a little bit higher and, uh, also tied in, but we usually double tie it. We have a guide in the helicopter that will kind of, um, it's really loud with the doors off. You can't hear anything and you're wearing these headsets. So I have direct contact with the pilot. And I'll be telling him like, all right, left, left, right, right. Or that's perfect. I like it smooth, you know, just trying to keep it smooth as possible. And uh, it's just, it's, it's one of those things that you're doing and you'll do it like maybe 15 minutes or 20 minutes and then it's all over, but you don't remember any of it because you're so focused and you're so just like, got to keep the camera still. It's all handheld, you know? So it's like my eye has to be up against my eyepiece. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, I don't, uh, I don't get, uh, you know, I've air sick or anything peak. like that. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. It's super nerve-wracking. I've learned to just to keep it chill. I mean, I've done it over 100 times now where it's like that's where I thrive, dude. It's Even like, changing film? Uh, changing film is that you just don't do it up there. You yeah, because like I've had to change memory cards up there. So gnarly. Gnarly. Yeah, I mean, Hostinik, he he runs two different cameras, so he'll have like two tethered. So he'll have one here and another one over here like yeah. ready to go. And he's like the god of filming in Alaska. Like that dude, he knows He's, it, it was like, actually, I, I'm so lucky to have been able to shadow him a little bit and see what he does. It is, blows my mind and he's just like, is incredible. But, uh, I think there's like the, when you get a shot, you know, you can't freak out because then your camera's going to get shaky mm -hmm. or whatever else. But it's one of those things where you need experience points and, uh, I have quite a bit now with that and it doesn't really freak me out anymore. I'm kind of okay with it. 
and just like, yo, that's, that's how I want to film. Like, we're going to film from a helicopter. This is crazy. Let's go. So when you're the guy that's going to be in the heli, you're just like, let's go. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's really having a good relationship with your pilot as well. Yeah. And um, sometimes, like one time I was filming uh, for some of the tricks in 9191, uh, hanging out of the helicopter. The pilot doesn't speak English. He's Spanish because we're in Chile. And uh, I'm like, I don't know, man. Yeah, <laughs> Whatever. You just need just to kind of go them. with it. You need yeah. To direct them a but bit. they, a lot of these guys, they kind of know they're used yeah. to that sort of stuff, and they've worked with film crews before. So I always felt like it it's like hunting big game, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Africa or something. You got your there. Leg, he is. You're just like there. He is. What was that? Like an old Air Rock commercial where they like shoot Todd Richards with a, <laughs> yeah, a gun, and then that's like, what it feels like yeah. when you're up in the heli with your lens and the trust right? in the pilot. Yeah, it's it's a wild, wild feeling. When I come home from Alaska every year. It's definitely not for everyone. Yeah. When I come home from Alaska for every year, I literally am so drained and just want to go hit music festivals and party my brains out because I'm like, I made it through. I'm, I'm alive. alive. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Now, I want to bookmark what you said earlier, uh, how you met Gigi and you and him both like the party. And then you also, I've been told and I've seen and I've observed the fact that you like to party. Now, how old are you? Uh, 39. Okay, you're 39. You travel around all summer. You go to music festivals, and you party like a maniac. A lot of people I've talked to in doing my research for this, they're like, Jake, he, he knows how to throw them back. He knows how to party. Now, how do you get this fountain of youth where you're able to party like a maniac and still live your life? What's the secret? I think there's a difference between partying like a maniac and just being like in – I like to have a good time. And I like to be around people. I love, uh, I don't know, man. It, there's something about like music festivals or something like that that I love, like being anonymous. And uh, I'm, I love taking photos of that. And so for me, it's like staying up late and being there. And I'm always the last one standing because I don't want to miss anything. I have serious FOMO at all times. So, um, so you're I think it just kind of comes with that. I mean, I... Uh, for me, I, I feel like I keep it pretty chill, but uh, I just like being there. No hardcore and, street drugs, just beer. Yeah, just beer. I mean, just drink some beer every Maybe once in a while. Maybe that's the key. That is the key. I just taking it too far. I think I like. I just have like a crazy metabolism, and I, I can just like eat whatever I want. I can drink whatever I want. And it doesn't affect me. I mean, I learned um, early when you hang with this guy, you're going to either be in a helicopter, you're going to be backstage, you're going to be around girls. Shit happens around him, and I think. You're just one of those dudes that you know, man. I right just place, right I, time, I, I all kinda, the time. I love uh, finding, like, sneaking into things. I love finding the backstage access. I love, yeah. I love just the rogue people I can talk to. I love talking to security guards. I love like just like figuring out a way to spray paint your wristband to get backstage access. And um, I just, I, I like, I don't like getting handed that. I like to work for it. I like to find my own way to be on stage at a MIA concert. You know, That's I like to tight. like, you know, put the work in. And then I think that I have a unique perspective as far as my photography goes for music photography is like, I want to be in the pit for a little bit. And then I'm going to like figure out my way to sneak backstage and get those moments that not everyone can get. And I've, I've kind of been very stealth. And I think I, I filmed that way as well, where a lot of people don't even know I'm shooting them, but I'm getting the clips and they'll see it later. You know, it's kind of like a, a lot of the ways I, I approach snowboard filmmaking is uh, kind of a voyeur, voyeuristic style and filming moments that not every, a lot of people uh, or filming moments that are natural 
I don't want to force anything. I'm never going to tell a snowboarder what to do or what to say. It's like, Neil, I want you to be you. And I'm just going to capture that. <clears throat> the fly on the wall. Fly on the wall, but also knowing when to the timing of when you can get in there and get, get what I envision, what I see there. Not everybody, I would say even more so, most people don't have that uh, skill set when it comes to being behind the lens. I mean, and also no good story comes from being sober. <laughs> so you got to remember it. Right and there. honestly, I think never the, last, that. the last 20 years of my life has been carrying a video camera around just so I remember what happened the night before. A Pro lot tip. of the time, man, it's like, you know, when we were running the website board as fuck, it was straight I had up. that bookmarked, by the way. Oh, yeah. It was, it was kind of like a long, it was, it was a way ahead of its time in a way. I wish there was a snowboard site like that now. But uh, Instagram obviously killed that. But, um, you know, to be able to post, like, what I was doing all the time was really cool. And it was just like, I like keeping people guessing. You just, you know, a lot of people, you know, I'm pretty private. I don't really put a lot of my personal life out there. This is the first time I've ever really been interviewed. And uh, to me, it hurt me in some ways where my team managers or the bosses would be like, yo, why, why aren't you guys snowboarding? Like, it looks like you've just been binge drinking for a week straight. <laughs> and I'm literally like, no, dude, we're snowboarding every day. But we're also binge drinking all day, too. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, that's actually kind of a perfect segue for our guest question from uh, Austin Smith and Curtis Cizik. Oh, no. Now, tag team. Tag team? It's a tag team. It's a doubleheader. Uh, now, the guest question is presented by Solomon Snowboards. Uh, last winter was my first year riding the Solomon Assassin Pro. I rode the 162, and it's really soft, and it's also very responsive. So I got a handful of days out on that board. It kicks ass in powder. It's probably your powder park jump kind of weapon i would say from solomon and also i know that jake is a big six stick rider from oh solomon. big time man i've been riding the six stick for 10 years when Love i think it. of jake i think of the six stick yeah absolutely reason. man i'm mean, just addicted to it dude yeah. it's like i have never ridden a snowboard i love as much as that thing it's insane just get on the 57 which is pretty short for me but it, it just floats through everything rides like a bigger it, board it rides like a bigger board i ride it in alaska I ride it every pow day it is just like perfect for me i love six it six feet tall on a 57 yeah, and AK, that's yeah, definitely must ride like a big It's board. such a sick board. It just has so out. much pop, the uh, the bamboo in it and everything. It just like always makes it easy. And it that's just awesome. is like, I just like whippy boards that feel like loose trucks. It turns real sharp. Real sharp. Yeah. It's great. Love it. And at loose Bachelor, trucks. we are traversing like no other. So it makes me faster snowboarder because I'm like really wiggling every traverse where you get that extra speed on every little bubble and every little bump, you know? Damn, I might. This guy's got me thinking. Yeah, I might need to cop. Oh, dude, it's <laughs> they're hard. You actually can't. You can. It's hard to find six sticks. Like as a rider on the team, of, I never get. Yeah. I'm like bottom of the totem pole for a six stick. They're like, yeah. I'm on the official like, six stick, stick to team. The they've told me, so they're like, oh yeah, we know you're gonna get one every year. They order yeah. like, one. Oh my for god, you. I can't wait for a new one. Yeah, exactly. I love it, man. All it's right, the well, best board ever. Let's hit the guest question from Curtis and Austin on the chair at Bachelor, coming at you. Uh, hey, Baumol. It's a little bit windy up here. We're on the summit chair going up Mount Bachelor. Love the show. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I'm um, excited that you guys got Jake in the booth there. I think first uh, first Bendite. And, uh, yeah, Curtis here has a question for him. Okay, Jake. Hello, Baumol people. Uh, Stone, what's up? Haven't seen that Missy flip in a while. 
since Vitalik, ready to get back out there with you. Uh, Jake, question here. Uh, what item did you drop into the porter potty up on Thompson Fast, and how did you get it out? And uh, sidebar, did you use the porter potty before or after dropping the item into it? Uh, hope this helps. Have fun, Jake. Have fun. Bye. Oh, we're always having fun, boys. Come on. Wow. Windy day at Mount Bachelor going up Summit Chair. That means they're going to the backside. I live for that. It means it's a good day. Oh, my God, dude. It <laughs> means the wind blew up the wind drifts. All the front side slashes are waiting for us. Okay, let's get into this. Question. Oh, my God. Let's talk answer. Answer. Oh, you want to talk porta potties? Isn't that you guys what he... know my history with the porta potties <laughs> with Honey Bucket? Unfamiliar. No. Unfamiliar. All right, so this is great. Um, my dad, from uh, being a car salesman, he got. Uh, Scouted by Honey Bucket Porta Potties based in the Northwest, and he's been their sales director for the last ten years. For Honey Bucket. For Honey Bucket. So whenever you see me posting about Honey Bucket, or like there's that photo of Desiree doing a wall ride above the Honey Bucket. Yeah, I shot that. Yeah, oh, sick, <laughs> dude. Hell yeah, there you go. That's on my wall, all framed up. Really? I, sh- I showed it to the owner of Honey Bucket, and he's like, "Oh my god, this is amazing." Really, Honey yeah, Bucket so saw cool. our shit. Yeah, dude, big time. <laughs> so like, uh, yeah, I'm sitting in that Honey Bucket up on Thompson Pass. We're like day twenty. We are just like gone mentally gone with jamie lynn and parker zumowski and we have just been having the time of our lives filming for a new vans project and i'm just sitting there on my phone do the deed and then my phone i, I go to, i'm wearing i always wear vulcan bibs and i you know you stick your phone in the top pocket of the bib yeah. and when you usually you go to put your bibs up the phone fucking falls out and that thing landed right on the turd pile. In a, a no! mu- uh, yeah, it was gnarly. Landed right on a turd pile of like all these gnarly AK dudes that haven't showered in months and diarrhea and everything just in the mix. And my phone just lands right there. And I was like, five second rule, reach down, grab that thing and just like wiped it down with as many uh, Clorox wipes oh, as I could. God, man. And then Woo! I was just walked out of that thing like a walk of shame back to the fire, and I was like, yeah, The turd yeah. pile was up high Oh, it was like one reach. of those turd piles that goes up to the top. So would you have a it was, log, the, it was like there's the AK log. Mountains over here, and then there's the AK Mountain in the well, honey dude, bucket. good thing it didn't roll down and descend. Oh, First man, descent, it would have been hard, but it was pile, like a brand, dude. you know, I just had the iPhone 11. It's waterproof. It's shit-proof. It's piss-proof. So. Dude, that should be an iPhone commercial. Well, on this subject, I got, when I was talking to Austin Smith getting some intel. He said, "Quote unquote, you take gigantic shits as well, so maybe that helps." Yeah, there's. It's kind of like something with my metabolism, also, and I eat a lot, dude. I like steak dinner is like we'll put that thing down and whatever. And uh, yeah, there's like corn cob size turds sometimes, man. I don't know where they come from. It's crazy, but I think it's like my metabolism to be this skinny. It's just like you got to release what you ate the night before all the time. And, That's true, huh? You know, we're eating corn cobs. Well, well, while we're on the subject of partying and shitting, um, I have just a keyword from Curtis, and it's uh, pita pit butt cheeks. Yeah. All right. Yeah, this is one of the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pita pit butt cheeks, huh? Interesting. Uh, yeah, this is like a you know classic Ben night. You're out on the town. It's fucking freezing ass cold out, and. Like to party in Bend. Bend's a party town. Ten barrels from there, and we just air horn. We like to get drunk, man. We have like really good snowboard days, and then it's like go kick back some beers, and then next thing you know, you're down at uh, Velvet. Next thing you know, you're down there at Velvet getting a drink, and we like to party in Bend. So uh, Peter Pitt's right around the corner, wasted. 
and just glass door just stuck my ass cheeks right against that fucking thing and uh instantly this lady comes out and just pounces on me i go to the ground she's just like fist in my face boom i'm just dying laughing like laid on the ground she came like, out of the ah! pita pit and attacked came you? out of the pita pit attacked me my pants are around my ankles just for spreading ham yeah spreading the- ham <laughs> She won or what? She won. I didn't even try. <laughs> I'm not going to punch try. the girl, man. Yeah, of no course. Way. Well, that's a great keyword. I thank you for that uh, That in, intel. From, uh, well, we're Kirk in the bomb Kirk. hole, man. We I'll tell talk you what, some, uh, that some shit, town man. does party, man. My days of Super Park up there, wow. I almost didn't make it out alive. Yeah, it's a party town. It's dangerous. You guys know what's going on. Yep. Borderline and I've heard alcoholism. the summer is even crazier. Summer's nuts, man. Yeah. Floating the Floating river, the river. thing well, and just hanging around. No, You know what? We're all pro snowboarders or in the snowboard industry, so no one has a job. The first so, like, time I witnessed LARPing was in yeah. that town. Oh, 100%. Percent. We got the LARP classic LARP scene down at the park. It's a beautiful town. It's a great place. Don't come there. <laughs> but, it sucks, uh, no, that already that happened, sucks. dude. That already happened. Everyone's Memories there. of getting shit-faced and floating the river on 4th of July. Woo! You've yeah. been there on the 4th. Oh, yeah. I've heard it's the oh, yeah. spot. Absolutely. Don't yeah, don't come. It's already too many people. But so, you know what? I, that's that's one thing I got to say. Like, you know, when when people are like, oh, the town is different. It's like change and all this. And to me, it's like, yo, man, the more people, the better. It's like helping everyone. That's and true. It is annoying. Like, there's traffic now. Like, to get up to the mountains, a long lit, dry line where it used to take 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. Now it's an hour. You can't stop it. But, man... I don't know. You can't stop it. And, yeah. and you know what? Honestly, the everyone that's coming is they're doing it right. That's yeah, where you should be, it. dude. They're like get mountain. to the mountains, get out of the city, like yeah. be outside. That's what we're promoting. That's what we're, that's what I'm making videos for to get people to want to snowboard. And I want people to go in the backcountry and do figure this all it's stuff. Working. You know? Yeah. It's it, and it is working. This year, you know, is the most people I've ever seen in the mountains, and it's uh, I love it. You know, Nobody's more people anymore. to ollie when you're riding down the run, and more <laughs> more skiers to slash exactly. and whatever else, man. Spray down yeah, skiers. That's annoying. It's like, it used to be nobody in the hill. It's like, yeah, there's people are having sex. They're having kids. Yeah, we're breeding, and there's more people 100%. on the planet. And you the parking what? lot has more people than it did last year, and the year before that, and the year before that. So just fucking deal with it. And shut the fuck up. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> leave earlier if you want. Yeah, to get you just you got to be on chair. it, man. Just be on it. And like we're pro at that. That's what we got to do, dude. You have to be on it, and we're the best at it there is. So, and also it's just like it's an addiction to pow, and uh, I have that. I'll wake up. That's the only thing I will wake up early for is like re- getting fresh tracks in the morning because you have to be there. If you're not there, you're blowing it. So. Yeah, you well, can't reset those tracks. Right? No, definitely not. Hey, you talked about being a fast snowboarder. Yeah, dude. Um, you I think some... just just riding bachelor, man, you got to be fast. I like, heard you, you got some duct tape. Yeah, we got some duct tape. Um, and for dude, the I, I had like uh, that's that means uh, Mount Baker Bank slalom winner. Um, winner. Um, but you know, in the masters category, um, not not necessarily There's a lot pro, of fast people. but I cannot compete with those dudes. Like one year, I think I qualified in twelfth place or something in the pro category, but like. That was back back in the day before people really like started doing it, you know. Yeah. Now it's like I could enter pro and get thirtieth place, or I can enter my category, which is masters non sponsored, and which is what I am. I've never been like pro snowboarder and do pretty well sometimes. I mean, for me, the the races you're either like my mindset is like I'm either gonna fucking win or I'm gonna eat shit, and it can go either way. I'm not getting second or third. Although that's pretty much what I've gotten a million times at Dirksen Derby and Rat Race is like always second and third. But uh, 
Yeah, they got the, the, the duct tape at Baker that one year, and it was probably like one of the best days of my life. It was just insane. Two weeks later, I was up in Canada at the GT Memorial. It's a no-board race, so no bindings. Uh, pillow ride, kind of like Chinese downhill race, and ended up winning that as well. Everyone at once on pillows? Yeah, everybody at once on pillows. And it's I've in seen this, some footage of this. I dude, think. it's in this Volcom uh, webisode that I was I was up there filming, and then, was, of course, I got a race, you know? Yeah. You got to do it. You got, then he won. Yeah, and then I ended up winning it, and... It was just like, that was like a life highlight, dude. I just couldn't believe it, you know. Um, but I think like the, for me, I just try to snowboard every day. Like I snowboard as as much as possible. I freaking love it. And uh, when you snowboard every day, your muscles are in tune. Like, you know, I'll do the Baker course and it's just like, oh, that's like a run at Bachelor. It's mellow. But um, it's just, it's almost like the nerves that is what you have to kind of get through. And honestly, the the day I won that, I was like, we were on this Volcom uh, Blizzard Bazaar tour, which is a. Uh, we were traveling around the West Coast with uh, Volcom uh, band, filming that, then snowboarding every day. And the night before, Jamie Lynn's band was playing in Washington, and then we just totally blacked out. Don't remember anything. Woke up on the tour bus. We had a, a driver, so just woke up in the parking lot at Baker. Went up there and won it, and we just like. I think it was just the fact that I was hungover, didn't really n- didn't have a chance to even think about it. And then just like put it down, incredible, yeah. So not just not just a filmmaker, but still still getting podiums, and then going out there and filming sixteen mil of uh, Gigi Rough. <laughs> now now going back to uh, one thing I wanted to bookmark was you were, we were talking about how you shot film your whole your whole career, which most people, for people that are unfamiliar with snowboard movies, you start shooting film back early two thousands, and then it kind of fizzled all into digi. And most people transitioned into a digital camera. Now, throughout the entire course of your filming career, you have been using 16 mil. Now, personally, there's something that's timeless about 16 mil, and I can't put my finger finger on it. What makes 16 millimeters so special? Shooting film for me is you're really doing something. You're not just hitting record on a digital camera where it's just like beep. Okay, it's doing something. It's going onto a SD card or whatever it is or a tape. For me, like burning film, you're like you can hear it going through the camera. I'm looking through the viewfinder. You can see the film ripping through the eyepiece, and it's just it, it just feels like more of a an art, like I'm doing art. Like it's like I'm painting the picture. It's like gonna be on this this roll of film, and um, the thing that that separates it is um, you're gonna have fuck ups. Like things are gonna be out of focus. There's gonna be light leaks. There's gonna be Things that you don't see where when you shoot on a digital camera, like a red camera or something like that, it's perfect every time. It always looks the same. So when you go to edit that footage, the digital stuff is so boring because there's no, there's nothing else to work with where when I'm editing a movie that was shot on film or that I shot on film, it's like, uh, there's little mistakes that you can edit to. And to me, man, a lot of snowboard videos is in the editing you know, you can film the best stuff in the world, like the best tricks, the best everything. But if it's edited shitty or it has terrible music, no one's going to want to watch it. Yeah, that's that's a great note on that. I like hearing that. And, and in my experience, I've shot some 8mm. I have 8mm. And I think there's something also in the way that you shoot it. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't capture the moments the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it's just like the you throw in the fact that you don't know what you're actually getting or you don't know if you're even getting anything. There might, there could be a chance that film roll uh, 
had a light leak and you missed everything. Mm-hmm. But honestly, when it turns out good, which it usually does almost all the time, it's better than what you could ever hope for. And it just makes a huge difference And once you're in the editing bay. And, and then that goes even further. You know, if you think about you're shooting 16 millimeter for these movies and then there's no audio because it's just mm-hmm. film. People to forget that. So if you look at the attention detail, when I watched your old videos where you're shooting 16 and you're laying over audio behind it, I want to talk about the, the sound mastering. Yeah, I think, like um, dude, that, that's a great question because uh, I think that's like something that I brought to snowboarding. It was, uh, I first did that. We, we kind of did a little bit of that in December, and that's where I kind of got the, the vision that I'm like, well, skate videos have skate sounds. Snowboard videos have fake rail sounds, but no one has like backcountry sounds. Mm-hmm. And so I just like made it a point to always have a digicam running. I'd just set it on a tripod or just like to get some audio involved with like what's happening. And then I'd be shooting 16 for the tricks. And then I'd throw wireless microphones on the riders. And sometimes you get some talking and just like that kind of stuff. Cause everyone has like their different way of what they're going to do when they hit a jump or they're going to like Shandy again, he'll just be like cussing and like, throwing out whatever it's just absolutely that, that, that shandy was really the guy that it was like wow he's so funny when he snowboarded i've never heard anyone that vocal we need to put a mic on him and uh, same with like travis parker and crawford like those dudes were just hilarious you know and when you watch december you can really see the moments where i mic them up mm-hmm. we're getting this different side of of video production that no one had ever really done before and making ir77 with lucas huffman that was where I like really was like, this is the vibe I want to have. I want to have every shot in this movie is going to have like real sound from that actual spot, whether it's at the takeoff or the landing or wherever the camera is. And we spent a lot of time. I spent a month, you know, on that editing that movie and getting the sound just perfect. And and on and, and you know, my whole career, I've I was never taught how to edit. I was never taught really how to do any of that stuff. I just kind of learned by doing it, you know, and um, audio design you're you're kind of flailing in a way like i'm like oh it sounds good to me perfect let's run it you know and um same with editing it's just like this is what i see it took me a long time to get fast at it but now it's like you know i think uh over the years i've just gotten better and better and better and now when i work on a project i edit in my mind i don't sit in front don't even sit in front of the computer i watch the footage sit on it, take a week off, go surfing, go just kind of do my thing and just like kind of wait for something to happen. And I really truly believe that things happen for a reason and I'll literally be in a cafe and I'll hear a song. I'm like, yo, that's the song. All right, cool. Shazam it, put it in my list. Then go back to the editing bay and bust it all out in a day. It's just like, all right, let's get this done. And uh, cause it was already in my mind. I already saw the clips lining up in the way they should be. And honestly, editing a snowboard video, it's kind of like you know what's going to be the ender. You know what's going to be the starter. It's all the sell that I was talking about earlier. It's like, all right, let's show them what we're going to sell them, fill in the, fill in the rest, and then like knock it through the – knock a home run at the end. That is a great uh, structure of, of a video explained in a way I've never heard. And uh, personally, I love that. And going back to some of the subtleties that have stuck out to me, um, you know, obviously when you mic'd up Parker and stuff in December, but even the subtleties, I know you worked for Vans and you worked on Landline and uh, been with them for a few years now. And I just remember like one thing that makes backcountry so much better is just even a subtle walkie-talkie countdown, three, two, one, and just seeing that 
in the background hearing that or sled go by with audio. Yeah, for sure. Such a big difference. Now it's to the point. Okay. So like I did IR seven, seven, like in 2008, I believe. Mm -hmm. So we're coming up on like that movie was 15 years old. And Mm -hmm. you know, when that comes out and people see that they get influenced by that. And then Mm -hmm. you, next thing you know, you have like the standard movie, black snow with all these fucking crazy ass sound effects and stuff or whatever the hell that was. And you're just like too much. (laughs) Oh my God. It's like too much. You're like, yo, okay. It's sick. You tried, but yo, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I honestly, I've never been influenced by snowboard videos. I've, there's not one I can really think of that was like, that was, okay, I can think of one. It was Critical Condition. That but movie's pretty Just dope. because they go to Bachelor, it's like Damien, and you know, mm-hmm. and then it's just like gnarly crash, and there's um, speaking over it, Dave Sione, all this stuff. Is that where Farmer raps? Yeah, I think it is, yeah, right? it is. Yeah, I can't remember. The um, movie just had a lot of flavor. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you're not and, influenced by snowboard videos. But no, I'm not at all. Like, uh, I'm actually, what influences me in snowboard videos is how bad most of them are. <laughs> I mean, shots fired, but yeah, there, there, there it is. Yeah. But like, I see a video, I'm like, I, that could be so much better. And I, I want to see snowboard filmmakers really like thinking about, thinking more that we can do anything we want. There's no, there is a formula, but fucking break that formula. Like, yo, you can do anything you want. Like, let's, let's see something different. And every project that I'm a part of, I've tried to make completely opposite of the project right before that, because I want to keep everyone guessing and I don't want to have like the same style of of, throughout my whole career. I want everything to be different. And that's what I think people can like see my movies and kind of like be like, Oh, I don't know what to expect with this one, you know? And a lot of other people just want to follow that formula. Yeah, I mean, you, know, you, you just see what, like, Justin's doing at Absinthe, and it's kind of been the same movie forever. And, um, you know, they change a little bit here and there. But, you know, that's that's his vision. Yeah. You know, but I, I think it, it's opened a door for me where I'm influenced for, from skate videos, 100%. And, like, I l- I'm a phenom for skate videos. I watch every single skate video, everything. Like, every morning I wake up, first thing I do, go to Thrasher. Just, like, watch everything. Um, but you know, it really was back in the exit real world days. There was like an era of like four one one issue fifty, uh, sight unseen. Um, that's my era you know, growing up of dude, sight unseen. Cardiel, like, like, yeah, Cardiel, Heath Kirchart. Mm-hmm. I mean, Heath Kirchart was always been my number one like inspiration, you know, in in like skateboard world and all that. Um, <clears throat> I want to bookmark something you said earlier and. You talked about, you know, we're putting things together. You're from Salem, Oregon, right? You grew up from a place where there's no fucking snowboarding. And you've become one of the most successful snowboard filmmakers in some of the biggest projects that's ever been made in snowboarding. Now, what advice do you have? And I'm going to preface this with the fact that I like how you just said the fact that, like, yeah, I was editing IR-77. I had no clue what the hell I was doing, but I figured it out. And and what what advice would you have for... Somebody that's like, oh man, I don't know if I'm I'm gonna make it as a pro, but I want to be a, a filmmaker and I want to make videos. What advice would you give them? Man, I think that throughout my career, I can only speak about myself because of what have I I've experienced, and I've always been backed by the right people. And uh, someone, it's it, it's never really me; it's always somebody else. Like it was David Benedict grabbing me to film for him once Robot Food dissolved. It was Travis Parker grabbing me. Um, it was later in the Volcom years where Pat Moore was like, yo, Jake is my guy. He's going to film my movie. And which even segued into me transitioning from Volcom to Vans where Pat was like, I want Jake to film the backcountry stuff for Landline. And uh, so it's really like 
the writers, if you can, if you just find your crew and, and your people that you're, that you like being around and you can document that, then I think it, you guys will all come up together. That's great advice. Um, but uh, yeah, it's honestly, dude, there's a lot of people behind the scenes in my life that have done so much for me, you know, from Ken Block, from when I worked on DC Mountain Lab 1.5, uh, Robot Food, Jess Gibson, Pierre Wickberg, um, going into me, you know, working for Billy Anderson for eight years. Uh, Billy just did everything for me. I mean, he really opened up the door for me to be a director and to, he really gave me the long leash to take my vision and make movies. And then from there, working for Kevin Cazillo at Vans is just a dream come true. It's just like been absolutely insane. And um, I look at my resume now and I'm just like, dude, it's so insane that I've gotten the, the opportunity to work on all of these projects and that somebody, you know, believed in me. And, you know, I think it's like really important to have your confidence and in, in really taking your own vision into what you want people to see. And a lot of that... Um, I get very influenced. You know, we talked about earlier how I like to party. I think being on premiere tours and being with the fans when the videos come out is so important. Like to sit there on the 9191 tour with Giggy and travel around the world in 30 days and do 25 video premieres in a row every single night. For me, like meeting people and talking to everyone and letting them like tell me how great the movie is, which is what everyone says, even though sometimes I think they suck. But you're like, all right, dude, whatever. But yeah. you, you learn from that. And when I think, when, I'm, when I sit down to start a project, I think of being at the premiere. I'm like, what are people going to like clap to? What are people going to get psyched on? What's going to get people amped? And that's like the moment that I've had that experience of doing that 100 times, being at premieres, where it's like, okay, we got to knock this one out of the park. We need to make sure that this is dead on, spot on, perfect. Oh man, that's that's uh, genius. I think a lot of editors don't think that way, and and the, and the good ones do. But I'd like to try to circumnavigate a lot of what we heard and and process it in in my own words because I think about the fact of a lot of people they they want to follow the the, the sure path, right? It's like if I go to college and I go to college for this thing, I can get a degree and it's safe and I can do that. And, and what I'm hearing from you is that you kind of nurtured these relationships with all these people. It's not what you know, it's who you know. You met these people, you nurtured these relationships, you became friends. Filming fell into your lap because people wanted to fucking hang out with you and you wanted to film snowboarding. And the one other thing I heard that really stuck out to me is that, you know, you're talking about how, like, I believe everything happens for a reason. Now, what I hear there, you're like, I hear a song and then I put it in the movie. And what I hear there is like trusting your intuition. And that that's huge. You know, that's something that, that people, it's not tangible, but you're like, you know, I don't know. I don't know why this, you know, this, this is the song, but this is the song because I feel like it's just like being able to be in tune with your intuition and follow that is what I'm hearing. And those are kind of the, the bullet points that stuck out to me so far. Yeah, man. I mean, honestly, I, I, spend all winter working on uh, filming mm -hmm. but as soon as summer hits the reason why i go to music festivals the reasons why i'm traveling to to new york los angeles or anywhere in the world is because i'm looking for influence and you just never know where you're gonna find it like i i love going to art museums i'll be at the moma like you know once a month just to go see what's around and see if i can see something that gets me inspired and um you know for me, it hasn't been about looking at Instagram. It's more about being out there and being around people and seeing like going to New York for a month to go to as many concerts as I can to see what's popping out there. 
because they're ahead of the curve. Like everyone in New York is like two years ahead of what's going to be happening in Salt Lake or in LA or whatever. So if I can get on the ground floor of what's cool or what's going to happen to forecast what I think a snowboard video should look like or a commercial or any kind of video, I'll be there. Yeah, that's an inspiration. What's the MoMA? Uh, Museum of Modern Art. New York? New York. Okay. The dopest place on earth. My favorite place on earth. I've been there. I just didn't know it's called the MoMA. Yeah. I like that. Also, the the act of of um, actively speak, seeking out inspiration. People are like, oh, I just, I'm not inspired. So you got to fucking hunt that shit yeah, down and look for man. it. And, and, and honestly, like, dude, to me... I'm a visual artist. Like I need to be ahead of the curve. I need to, I need to make up something that no one's ever seen before. So I want to, you know, I think every movie I've made, I've never had a hit. Like I've never had a, something that won the trans world video of the year. Like we, like nine one nine one was barely, I don't even think it was nominated and oh, my videos hit. They, it's something, I don't know what it is. Every single video I've ever made hits 10 years later. Mm. It kind of like, it's ne- there. I think it's because they are so different at the time. They're not following the current trends of what's happening. But ten years later, people are like, "Oh shit, dude! I just saw IR seven seven. That's insane! Like that's like, like I can't believe cult classics, big time." And yeah. I I love that man. Like I I that if I could just make cult classics for the rest of my True. life, like I love that. I'd, I'd rather be that dude than just busting out a movie that everyone's seen before. I want to make something that's completely different. And um, it, it, I really got to say that just give so many thanks to the producers like Billy and Kevin that believe in me, you know, they believe that, that like that, you know, most of the time when I turn in the f- first draft of like nine, one, nine, one, it's usually like, Oh fuck, this is going to be crazy. Like no one's going to like this, <laughs> but then it's like, no, we'll nurture this. And like, trust me, like this will hit, you know, I can name five people off the top of my head. Nine, one, nine, one's their favorite movie straight up. Yeah. So there's like, a lot of people in the booth that will say that, <laughs> yeah, you know, straight up. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I think 9191 was just so special because we brought in Baron and, uh, he did the original soundtrack with like, I mean, it was insane, dude. He's like, yeah, we got Dave Lombardo from Slayer and yeah, you're going to, you're going to go film him for the day while we're making the soundtrack. Does that cost some serious money or what? Uh, the cheddar bisque. Yeah. Um, you know, I no, it was like, he was just excited. No, he, he got paid. Yeah. He definitely got paid. But what we paid him was probably like a quarter of what it would have cost to license all the, the tra- all the music for the video anyway. Mm. So it's like, why license all this shit when Volcom can pay for it, have it all produced by an amazing uh, musician, get so like so very high level artists to be involved, and then they can sell it on iTunes and make their money back. Mm-hmm. So like he got paid Giving nothing. Out some trade but, secrets right you know, here, huh? Straight up, dude. Like, yeah. If you've noticed, all most of my projects that I've worked on in the last five years. I've always gotten custom soundtracks made because I don't, I don't even, I don't even know how to deal with that stuff. Like I don't want to deal with uh, license, like uh, rights licensing. When you end up and all getting the songs you don't even want because they're too expensive. Yeah, for exactly. The good songs. Um, I mean, like I said, every movie's different. Like from the 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 difference from like nine one nine one to Volcom's Mister Plant with Pat Moore, like that movie was like, okay, I'm gonna do a movie that's gonna be all digital. And there's no film in that movie. It's like, okay, this is my like chance to like really try to step into the future of digital cameras and all this stuff. And I tried that, and um, I it was okay. Like you know, it's the movie turned out awesome because Pat is mm-hmm. just the best dude ever. He's Such just a, his sections unreal. I mean, it's insane. Like that was another. I don't even think he was nominated for writer of the year with a 12 minute long video mm-hmm. part. I'm like, yo, the politics in video stuff politics. is absolutely insane. 
One thing I wanted to uh, talk about real quick too is that know when you work for Volcom, you're uh, I know that you had unlimited travel budget, correct? I've always had unlimited travel budget. If you want to make a great movie, brands listen to that shit. Like, give the right people the budget. Yeah, and it's not like we're going crazy, dude. Yeah. We're, we're still five people to a hotel room. You know, yeah. it's like we are just. It's so expensive to make a movie in the backcountry. Mm-hmm. I mean, filming in Whistler, for example, two hundred dollars just to gas up your sled and to buy a, a, a sled pass for the day. Mm-hmm. Then you're talking, we have our transceivers. Snowmobile in general, it's fucking 14 grand. Um, you, we, got, we all have to have trucks. You have to have sled decks. We have to have food, which is probably about 150 bucks a day. So every day we're at like $1,100 a day. You know, And that's just one person. That's me, the filmer. The writers have their own different budgets and things like that, but it is not cheap to make a snowboard video. But on the flip side, snowboard videos, as far as the marketability of what it can do for a brand, it's super cheap. It's like, I mean, look at um, someone like Pepsi or, or no, look at someone like Ford Trucks. Like, what do you think they spend on a commercial? Probably $5 million. Yeah, a lot of money. A lot, a lot of money. We're making a whole movie for five hundred grand. Yeah. Like, dude, that's fucked. Like, why aren't we getting the money that those guys are getting? Because you know what I can make for $5 million? Can anything I, I would like, like to find out? Yo, let's do this. I mean, <laughs> Ford trucks hit me up, dude. What's crazy is it seems there's a barrier to entry to become a backcountry filmer that there isn't for street. And is it money? Well, knowledge. Well, yeah, I think it's like experience, knowledge, and uh, it, it's probably where you grew up. You know, like if I grew up in Minnesota, man, I'd be filming streets because yeah. I've come from skateboarding or like a, a, I, that's what you do. Um, one word of advice I can say is that my career totally changed when I became like a backcountry specialist filmer. And uh, there's only like 10 of us in the world. And every December I get hit up by 15 companies, just like a writer. Yo, like this guy's out. We need you. Like, what can you do? And I'm always like, yo man, I have my dream job. I work for vans. I'm dialed. Like, sorry if you, if you're not on our team, man. But also on the other side of the coin is like, I'm always open to anyone. Like if you're around, yo, come film with us. Like as long as the riders are down, I think the more the merrier, the more people around, the more fun it is, everything else. And more hands to help. Yeah. And so like really, if you're like an up and coming uh, snowboard filmer and you're filming in the streets and you have an idea, you want to try to get into backcountry filming. I think it's just like work your way up, man. And you know, you got to get your sled skills dialed, like start learning how to snowmobile, start just hanging out with people that are like-minded. Like, you know, I see what Germ is doing or Tyler Orton. Like, those guys are the gods now in the backcountry as far as the young up-and-coming filmmakers. Like, they're just killing it. And uh, I don't know if they'd have a place in streetboarding still if they didn't step it up and become those guys. It's time to take a quick break and talk about Wild Mike's Ultimate Pizza. Now, we always break the ice by eating pizzas and cheesy bites before we record, which we did today. Um, now, all of Wild Mike's Ultimate Pizza products are 100% natural, no artificial anything, and we love them. And they support us. You guys should support them. Follow them on Instagram, and they're doing all kinds of cool giveaways. And that kind of segues us into the conversation I'm going to get into right now, which is we just recorded a commercial for Wild Mike's. Yeah, we did. And it was fun to see this guy over here, uh, Jake, you know, click into producer mode and we had a script and we had all this stuff going on and it, it was a blast, man. It yeah, felt it's kind pro of a, as fuck. Yeah, right? it was super pro. Yeah. <laughs> man, I, I, I mean, the whole goal of it all is to have fun. 
And, uh, you know, the guys at Wild Mike's are just incredible. They're, like, such a cool company. They're from the Northwest. Pizza's insane. And uh, shit, to have you guys involved, it's a dream team. You guys fun. are the best at first-time <laughs> actors I've ever seen. You just absolutely nailed it. But, uh, no, that whole that whole process of seeing you and, and, you know, directing and saying action, and then you made the whole script, and then you were you were doing really good coaching as far as, like, you know, we were supposed to be Wayne and Garth from Wayne's World, and it was like... No, you, you know, were them. You were <laughs> we were. We got into them. character, but it was like, you need to be more arrogant, or you need to do this, and it was it was really fun. Yeah, I think uh, it's like playing pretend, man, and yeah. uh, just uh, confidence goes a long way when you're directing, and, you know, I don't really do a lot of dialogue in directing and things like this, but I know what I like, and I know what I see, and I know... I can feel it when you guys nailed your lines. Like, you felt it, too. <laughs> so... Um, that, that kind of stuff comes naturally for me, just being around cameras and being around, uh, editing and all that stuff. It's like, this is what I do. I'm, it's like, it's easy for me. You know, it's like, I don't wake, I, I woke up more nervous to do this interview than I did to direct a commercial. Damn. That's cool. Well, how are you feeling now about on the, as far as the nerves? I'm a little shaky. <laughs> you're still shaky. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if it's cold or just... Uh, yeah, for the listeners... I just it, don't know what you're going to hit me with, it's, man. It's, I gotta... it's freezing in the booth. Uh, we are... I swear it's not even that cold outside. It's weird. It's, yeah. I guess it's the sun. When you're, I think when you're just sitting inside yeah, of an icebox. Yeah. So we take breaks. I mean, and being a soon. filmer and a photographer, Stone... We know how to be cold. My hands aren't cold. Dude, yeah, our hands are just seasoned, right? Seasoned. I mean, working in the snowman and getting back to being a backcountry specialist filmer. I don't even know if that's like a proper title in snowboarding, I mean, but I'll say only, it because like that's what said, I do. Like you said, there's only 10 of you, so it's yeah. pretty crazy. I mean, it's if, nuts, man. I mean, many. you know what's crazy, Stone, is the last uh, time I filmed Street Rails. I was going to ask was you for this. Nine, one, nine, 91 Words for Snow, Justin Benny, <laughs> right? Quebec. Quebec, yep. Mikey LeBlanc, Kid Snow, and, uh, God, what a sick time. It was the first time I met you. Yeah. And, uh, that was so sick. I mean, I was just supposed to be a fly in the wall and just burn and film. Well, and it was so cool to see you mic everyone up yeah. and, and go about that process. And yeah, did all those tapes got stolen. What? Yeah. Who stole them? I mean, uh, if you knew, Salem. Them. I was living in Salem still at the time and just somebody broke into my truck and stole all of my footage from the whole year that was digital no. from 91 words for snow. It was gnarly. I had to call David and tell him. It's the only time this ever happened. Learned a lesson. It's happened you know? to a couple people. It like, has. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It gnarly. happens. I was moving. Everything that was in my truck I was moving from Salem to Bend. Would it was you like ever... a big moment in my life, and then it was like, there's so much stuff to deal with. It like a bag's missing. Yeah. And of course, it's the hard drives and tapes. Thank God, all the 16 was getting transferred somewhere else. So would you ever keep it in the car again? Never. I never did. Yeah, Everything never is inside every night. Even like when you go to dinner, it's like, yeah, bring it'll, the shit in. <laughs> yeah, hard drive. When you're on a trip. You, when we're on a trip, especially shooting 16 mil, you got to remember, man, when we shoot these rolls of film, they're, all the shots are, this roll of film is probably worth $10,000. Mm-hmm. True. With these priceless clips of like Arthur Longo landing a trick he's never done before. So... I usually, well, I, actually, I don't really want to tell people where I hide them, but they're somewhere around. You put them in but your I, prison wallet? Sometimes a little, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the old yeah. prison pocket, eh? Prison yeah, wallet is your butthole, actually. For that's the why you that can take such big moves. Oh, shit. Like, that's where he hides them. Yeah, yeah that's, where they, that's where they come from. Classic. You pack yeah. a um, serious log in there. But, I mean, for landline, it, it's, I had a stack, you know, probably 15 rolls of 400 feet uh, film rolls that I'm, like, FedExing overnight to california to get transferred and you're like yo if something happens to this then this is crazy like the amount of money you're spending every day it is priceless for sure 
And and then also my camera I shoot with is a very specific Aeroflex 416 plus um, 16 millimeter camera that are impossible to find. I'm one of the only people in the world that own one. So They're actually like, not that expensive, right? They're just hard to find. Well, it wasn't. I got lucky, and I bought it before there was, like, the resurgence of 16. Uh, I just kind of, like, knew I wanted this new 16. It's the very last one that Aeroflex produced. And, uh, you know, I bought it for eight grand. Um, right now, you can't find them for less than 50 50 Yeah. Shit. Because they can't be found. Yeah, they're just, they can't, they can't be all... found. They were used as crash cameras. They were used as, um, so there's not that many. It, it came out the same year as the Red One came out at the trade show. So it was a huge flop for Aeroflex. Probably pretty much put them out of business. Where Red, everyone was buying the Red Cam. So all these cameras were sitting around. They went to every rental house in the world. And no one bought them. So I, I just like knew I wanted it. I, they're not on eBay. They're nowhere. So I just emailed every rental house in the world. It was like, I'm looking, I want to buy one of your rentals. And they're like, yeah, sure. Eight grand. We don't, nobody rents this thing. Yeah. So, and it was just perfect. And now I, it's my baby. But if that camera ever gets stolen or breaks, there's nothing I can do to replace it. No. It's just like. Irreplaceable. I'm probably done. Like, I don't think I'll make snowboard videos anymore because I'm so in love with that camera. It'll be your time. It <laughs> might be the time. Just throw in the towel. It's so hit cool. me up if you have an Airflex 416 Plus. I need a backup, but not for 50K. Yeah, now they're going to try to get 50. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, going back to the 16, when I lived here with Tanner, Tanner Pendleton uh, and Harry Hagen, both bands filmers, lived at this house for a number of years. And around the landline time, they would get rolls back. And... The process of shooting something and months later getting back the rolls, they'd be like, it was a pretty, it's pretty special deal. Oh, yeah, right? it's Christmas, it's exciting man. moment. It's the best. I mean, I, I think I've been doing this a long time now where I'm just like, well, I'm, I'm ready for the heartbreak where, like, a roll comes back back black or something. You're just like, oh, no, I fucked up. But really, um, it's always like, I think it's a lot to take in when you get all the rolls at once. You're kind of like, oh, wow, we, we don't have that much stuff. But even though you do. You know, it's always like, it's always the same thing in the middle of like February. Everyone's like, damn, we don't have a movie. We have no shots. But then when you go into the editing bay three months later, you're like, oh yeah, actually we filmed like a whole segment that month. Like it's just like all relative because you always want to get better and better, better stuff. Mm-hmm. One thing we breezed over real quick, <clears throat> kind of, the AK stuff. It's kind of funny. People want to be, you you dream of being a pro snowboarder. But when I'm looking at shooting 16, hanging out of a doors off heli, is badass and not only you know you talked about how it's like you know you're drained emotionally from filming out there i feel like it's not necessarily just from yourself hanging out of the helicopter because a lot of the guys are getting dropped off on on the most dangerous terrain in the world pretty much yeah absolutely i mean a a lot i'm just gonna say it right now alaska ruins snowboarding for you for life because once you go up there and experience it you're going to take in the runs that you cannot get anywhere else on the planet. It's just absolutely mind-blowing. It is the craziest snowboarding ever. And then when you throw guys like Giggy or Blair Hobbinick or uh, Nicholas and Austin Smith and Curtis and those guys that are, like, super pro at it, it's just like, dude, that is so gnarly. You can, even if it's just turning down a mountain, you know, like when I was a kid, like I think you've said this many times, but you skip through those video parts because they're so boring. But, like, honestly... That is the top of the top level. It is like absolutely psychotic. It's so steep, so much steeper than you think. This everything's so much bigger than you think. Mm-hmm. Um, it is so dangerous. It is like even being a filmer up there or photographer. Yo, man, every day is being at war. Mm-hmm. It's really, really like that. And um, 
I think that's like part of backcountry filming or even maybe street filming too, but it's, uh, it's just dangerous, dude. My job is super dangerous. And I think we get paid a little bit more because of that, because of the, I mean, there's so many situations that I've been in where it's just like, Oh, we crashed the truck on the way to the sled spot. Or, you know, I think my Salem days of being an off-roader or like going four buying on the weekends, like rednecks, learned how to like do a lot of stuff I do now, which is like recovering vehicles, heliing out a snowmobile, fixing snowmobiles, dealing with just like broken people, broken parts, broken trucks, all that kind of stuff, man. It's like, it's a really hard job. You know, it's very physical and very dangerous. Well, cool. I think we've been chatting for a while. Um, and I don't know if you're allowed to talk about this current secret vans project. Can we get into that? Yeah, we, Absolutely. So you are filming the most elusive human in snowboarding <laughs> that n- nobody can get enough of. Everybody wants more of Mr. Jamie Lynn, correct? Yeah, definitely, Jamie. How's that process been? Oh, my God, man. Jamie is the best. Yeah, he's absolutely a psychopath. Um, best dude ever. Everyone would say that. Everyone I've been around, that I'm like, yeah, man, I'm doing this like, Jamie project and He's just the best dude ever. If you ever get a chance to to meet him or, you know, see him somewhere, he just lives like life like no one else I've ever met. Um, what a legend. And I'm just like, it, it, for me, it's just absolutely psycho that I'm the guy that's making this movie about him right now. And uh, it's been the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. But uh, it's also gives me the opportunity to kind of step back a little bit and really makes a video that no one's ever seen before. I'm like kind of going into it with a mindset of want to like reinvent a way that a movie is made. And uh, with someone like Jamie, it's kind of like his life is like no one else I've ever met. So the movie should be like that too. And I want to have like really high Jamie Lynn vibes. And uh, the thing with Jamie is he's, you know, not only an incredible snowboarder legend, uh, he's like celeb everywhere you go, you know, Um Artist, musician, skateboarder, motorcycle rider. Um, just there's so many parts to his life that I'm trying to capture. And it's definitely um, turned into being the hardest thing because he is so hard to be around, like uh, to just get to where he is. Literally, you know, there's no pre-production. There's no nothing. You know, when when he when Vans was like, yeah, you're going to make this Jamie Lynn movie. I would like text Jamie and wouldn't hear anything for months. I'm like, fuck man, I guess I don't know. That's what it is. And then he'll just send me a text, Denver, 1230 address. And I'm like, (laughs) all right, I guess I'm going to Denver. Jump on a flight, land in Denver. There's Jamie. He's there like rolling a joint, painting. And he's like, all right, you're hanging. We're doing this. This was like day one for filming for the movie. And he's like, why do you have your camera? I'm like, uh, well, dude, we're making this video for Vans. It's like this movie. It's going to be pretty cool, man. It's like about you. He's like, nah, let's just hang out. And we need to get to know each other. And I was like, okay, well, let's get to know each other. But I'm bringing my camera with me. <laughs> you were, One thing that was a highlight that you were talking about was how chill the process is. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like we're, we're not. Well, I mean, it's difficult because he's a unicorn, man. It's uh, he's on, he, he will not listen to anybody. He does his he does his life and he does it in the sickest way possible. He's always in the best place, always doing the best shit. I mean, we're pretty much living a bald face all last year with Jeff Pensiero and his family. And Give those guys an air horn. Big time, man. Jeff is like 
I just want to call him dad all the time. I'm like, dad, thanks for taking care of me. <laughs> He's like showing me the best time ever. You know, it's like a dream come true to be on Jamie's program. And I haven't seen him for a while right as of right now due to COVID and all that stuff. So it's like, I really miss the vibes and miss hanging out with him. Um, we're not filming a normal snowboard video. So it's a little bit tough for me because I'm like, oh, we could be getting this trick right now or, you know, like getting the A plus shots. But it's not about that for this project. It's more about being and him being him me being voyeuristic in a way of like filming what he's doing with no influence i want it to be him um and you know the idea for me is like i want this movie to be it's it's going to be an art project it's not going to be a snowboard video that we can even premiere probably something that like i want to make it really hard to see like i want it to be i don't want it to be like you can just go on youtube and watch it i want it to be something you have to go to a specific place to watch it wow i want it to be uh I don't want it to be easy to see. The artiste. So you were telling me some funny stories last night that he only sleeps in a hammock. Yeah, man. Uh, or yeah, he prefers no, he, yeah, he when prefers, he can. He yeah, Jamie prefers to sleep in a hammock. Um, <laughs> it's, it's actually it's so incredible. Um, you know, we get put up in like really fancy resort hotels and things like that. And we're usually sharing a room and he's usually not down for that. Um, so he'll just go set his hammock up in the boiler room downstairs with rats <laughs> all around him and do his thing and while we have like really nice room it's all i get it to myself i'm like all right dude you go do your thing um when we were in alaska filming for the project um jamie slept in the snowbank every single night for a month and uh i had a uh like i rented a like a, the nicest rv you could kind of get because i knew we were going to be up there for a month and we just needed something comforting jamie Never came in there once, basically. <laughs> he was outside the whole time. He lives life outside, whether it be like surfing, skating, motorcycling. He's like the true road dog, man. He's gnarly. Yeah, your um, buddy last night was saying he would sleep in a tree at his house, like 35 feet up. Yeah. Climb up and down every morning, every definitely night. Definitely loves his hammock. <laughs> loves it. Also, Parker Zumowski, young uh, East Coast you know, rider for Vans, you you kind of threw him in the mix with Jamie. That, that oh must my God. have been fucking wild. It was wild. Like, I, you know, we were just like, at the, we were shooting for the project and um, it was really tough. Uh, Jamie really wanted to ride with Brian Noguchi. That's like always his Alaska partner, you know, and, and just for safety reasons, you want to ride with the people you've been up there with before. We're all on the same page. Um, but Brian had other obligations. He couldn't make it. Um, we tried, you know, the rest of the Vans roster and nobody could make it. So I was like, man, it's like kind of cracking my mind. Like, who can I get to come up here? And I was like, you know, I hung out with like Parker at like Wasted in Portland or something the summer before. And I was like, well, he was a cool kid. At least he can like come up and like hang out and it'll be fun. Um, but we had the empty seat in the helicopter for a few days. And I was like, there's no better way for someone to get the, the experience than to just come up, hang out, ride with Jamie. He's not going to be doing like what Travis Rice is doing or anybody like that. We're just taking pretty mellow runs, warm ups, just kind of feel it out. And he pretty much came up for one day of riding, but then stayed for a month and got wow. probably, you know, 12, 13 insane Alaska days. And uh, the craziest thing was, is like, after some of those days, like I was uh, sitting there, I'm always with the guide um, from Alaska Snowboard Guides, and his name is uh, DC. And DC looks over at me after Parker runs his, does his, his run, and he's just like, dude, I have, ne where did you find this kid? Like, I've never seen anyone ride Alaska like that first trip. He is absolutely amazing. And Parker just blew the doors off of all of us. Like, 
We could not believe it. I thought he just like hit rails, dude. No, I've never like, even seen him. I've never yeah, ridden I, thought that too. I didn't even know he could turn. Yeah. And then here he is dropping with Jamie Lynn, him and Jamie up on a freak, the sketchiest things ever and just destroying. And a lot and, of people uh, go up there and they like oh, they realize that I'm, I'm over my head maybe yeah. and Big they don't time. really do anything. No, yet. Parker, I think he just like slammed a beer and ate some mushrooms. It's like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> but if you're hanging with Jamie and our crew, that's kind of how time the way it goes, this, man. Yeah. yeah. Incredible, Love but it. what a what a special human and dude! I I hope that uh, you know we we still have another year to film on this project, and I hope we get the the opportunity to go back up there and just be part of the lot brigade and hang out and make micheladas for the crew and uh, jump in the bird and rip some laps and make kind of send off this movie in the fourth quarter and make it as amazing as it needs to be for yeah. for something with Vans and Jamie Lynn. Well, I know you're going to knock it out of the yeah. park, and I know that everybody listening to this will be waiting patiently or impatiently for it to come out. Yeah, I now, mean, the sad thing was is it would be out right now, but COVID really put a damper in it. We missed our window this year to go to Alaska, and that's where we wanted to finish it up. So, Okay, I think we did the damn thing. We did it. It's We got an exclusive first-ever interview with Jake. That's true. That's a big deal. Yeah. Oh, wait, there's one thing I wanted to say. Uh, did Is Jeff... Goldblum still around? <laughs> I think he's frozen. Is he? he? Will, yeah, he'll no. probably thaw. You guys out. froze him. <laughs> yeah. he's gonna, we'll we'll wow. thaw him out in the in the spring. We, we I actually, mean, what everybody told me to go on the bomb hole because I get to meet Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> What's up with that? I'm getting shafted right now, guys. <laughs> yeah, we gotta maybe. We gotta maybe. I think flies do though. They fall over and freeze for the winter. <laughs> Because then you notice, no whenever, snowboard filmers do. Yeah, whenever it gets whenever it gets warm, all of a sudden they're moving around again, and you got flies in your we, house. We had the uh, big people ones. sending buds uh, fly strips. Yes, we had fans sending fly strips. So good. So all right, before we get out of here, um, if you guys are interested in Jake's work, you know, uh, just to rifle off a few, uh, we got you know robot food. We got nine one nine one, Mister Plant, December Mount Lab one point five, ninety one words for snow, and IR seventy seven. His first kind of debut film. Uh, for in you, short, oh, in, in short, as gap well. session. Yep, keep going. Wow, uh, Volcom TV shows. We got uh, there's so many, dude. If if you haven't watched nine one nine one, make sure you fucking watch that because that that one's the the one. That's kind of the one. Yeah. Also, December. Watch December. Laugh your ass off. Mm-hmm. It just gives you a good vibe. Go snowboarding with your friends. Have fun. November? November. <laughs> and they'll all be in the show notes, whether you're watching on YouTube, if you click down and click the description, or if you're listening to it on Apple Podcasts, it'll be in the show notes. And if you're watching them, be, be sure to fucking hit the subscribe. You know what I mean? Send it to a friend. Uh, and I think we did the damn thing. We're going we to get thing. out of here. Thing and is done. We appreciate you guys listening, watching. We will see you next week over and out from the bomb hole.